0: Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
1: The Indiana Pacers select Bilal Koulibaly wow. from Courbevoie, France. What? With
2: the eighth pick in the
1: 2023 NBA Draft, the Washington Wizards select Jarris Walker from the University of Houston. I have a trade to announce.
2: Oh! As part of a deal to be finalized later, the Indiana Pacers are trading to the Washington Wizards, the draft rights to Bilal Koulibaly, the seventh pick, and the
1: Wizards are trading to the Pacers the draft rights to Jairus Walker, the eighth pick.
2: I feel like it's my shot creation, my, my passing ability. I feel like some of my game is,
3: is under luck for sure. So just being able to just showcase different things, that just be consistent with, with what I'm doing offensively, whether it's, I mean, mid-range is three. Just, just
2: continue to make the right play. Real excited about the picks. Both guys are energetic basketball junkies, high basketball intelligence, high IQ, See the see the game pass it, move it. You know, in a league where defensive versatility, the ability to switch and contain is so important, you know, we believe he can do that. And then, you know, offensively, he just, there's a chance here that that he could really evolve into a, a special kind of four man in this league. a guy that can rebound it and take it coast to coast and make plays and finish at the rim and do all that stuff. So I think when our fans start to watch him, they'll see the possibilities. And I think Shepard is a, is just, you know, again, he's a unique prospect in that he has length, he has quickness, he has really good ball skills. It appears to me that he could play some point guard in a pinch, um, but his natural position is is two and three. But, you know, that kind of versatility is very important in today's game.
3: The 2023 NBA Draft is behind us, and the Indiana Pacers hope they have spent their final moments in the NBA Draft Lottery for quite some time. Hi again, everybody. Happy Friday to you. Jimmy Cook in the DriveHubor.com studios for the Fan Midday Show. Eddie Garrison behind the ones and twos. We'll have him throughout the afternoon as well. It's Jarris Walker, the freshman from Houston. The final, again, in theory, selection for the Indiana Pacers, at least with where they want to be on this rebuild, in that range of top-tier picks in their draft history. We talked about it a lot yesterday. In terms of avenues or directions this team could go, Taylor Hendricks was mentioned in there out of UCF. We had seen at least an argument or two to be made for Cam Whitmore if he fell, and that free fall we'll talk about a little bit later in the show. That didn't happen in any of the ranges that he was initially mocked in, whether or not that was what Eddie and I had talked about yesterday, if it was agents really jockeying, whether it was the... Injury concerns that were reported by a number of different beat writers yesterday. Perhaps that was scaring teams. But Cam Whitmore's falls happen? Were they going to reach and potentially take Grady Dick? Ultimately, a go for the pick that was really consensus around here. What made a lot of sense for what their needs were in Jarris Walker. You obviously heard from Rick Carlisle to open the show. He fits a lot of needs this team expects to be filled right away, which is being more aggressive on the defensive end, being a magnet for rebounds, being able to dominate both inside as well as outside if called upon. While his three-point shooting numbers as a whole don't blow you away, he's only 19, and on top of that, his catch-and-shoot numbers far better, which is something that's going to be called upon many a time you would think with the pace of play that the Pacers want to operate with, with Tyrese Halliburton as the captain of that ship. So all in all, no frustration there with that first pick. Public service announcement that I made the joke on Twitter, as did many a Pacers writer or reporter. Alex Golden was one of them. We're going to have him on the show at the bottom of the 2 o'clock hour. But it's a public service announcement for every Pacers fan that is confused by the way the NBA does the draft. Because while I love the NBA, it's with basketball being my favorite sport, even though I love the NFL just as much as the next guy, I love all things NBA, and I love the draft. The only argument that I have with it is that the presentation for the viewers at home, and it's probably something that's way over my head that's either in the CBA or in the league office with, with the way they do things, but the confusion of which player is going where when we know 10 to 15 minutes ahead of time in some picks what happened from Adrian Wojnarowski or Shams Tarania, because they're national writers that have their ears to the ground on a number of different sources, and they're always able to break these picks. This whole juggling circus act that goes on on draft night where you have picks announced to a team that everybody knows that player's not going to creates more confusion than anything. And I will give credit to ESPN slightly, at some point, they started putting on a projected trade, very, very small, depending on if you're over the age of 60, you're probably needing to use a magnifying glass to see it and understand what's happening. I say that because my 60-year-old brother was with me last night watching said draft, and there was confusion in the room at times of, oh, is this guy going to the Pacers now? Is this guy going to Milwaukee? No, a trade happened that everybody knew about for 10 to 15 minutes, but the NBA wants to have Jairus Walker where a Wizards hat because they just don't have it down like the NFL does. And again, that is probably a CBA thing. It is probably an NBA rules thing. I've been frustrated by this for years. Change it, get it figured out. Because when a trade happens in the NBA or in the NFL, we don't have Roger Goodell coming on an hour later to announce a trade that happened in the first round. We don't have it happen. And the hat is worn by the team that took that player. Barring like a real last minute trade. That tirade adds to another thing, which is that back to the joke that was made about ten years ago, twelve years ago now, the infamous Kawhi Leonard deal. The Spurs do a trade with the Pacers, it brings the hometown boy and George Hill to town. It sends the draft pick to the Spurs, but the Pacers make the pick, which confuses everybody. And Kawhi Leonard is the selection. Kawhi Leonard winds up being an NBA champion, two-time NBA champion in his career. Number of all NBA accolades, number of all-star teams, Pacers fans get frustrated with, oh, we could have had Kawhi Leonard. What happened? No, you couldn't have because the Spurs make that pick was never made by the Pacers. And the same thing goes with Bilal Kulabale. If he winds up being a 10-time all-NBA representative and a 10-time all-star, you could be mad at a front office for not evaluating him that way. That's fine. But it's not a, oh, we took this guy and then traded him away. No, the pick and trade was already made. The Wizards made the call. Hey, we would like Bilal Koulibaly out of Metropolitan's 92 from France. Running mate of Victor Wabanyama. That's who we want. Take him. Because that's how trade agreements work. So that's out of the gate because I got that in my mentions a little bit. I saw in Alex's mentions last night after he made the joke about, oh, here we go again with Kawhi Leonard. Not the case. The Pacers were never going to take Blah Kulabale. They wanted to, for whatever reason, and there were rumors that the Utah Jazz might take Kulabale and try to do a deal with the Pacers. The Wizards, in all likelihood, probably got spooked by that, gave the Pacers two second round picks to move up to get to seven. Unfortunately, those two second round picks, in terms of news and noise, we were right, Eddie. We were correct. There was going to be a draft night trade. Just didn't think it was going to be a trade that brought in two second rounders in 2028. Woo! Let's go. Thought perhaps might be something of immediate value. But that's probably an issue with... Well, no, I won't say it's just an issue with my generation because that same brother I referenced earlier was surprised that the pick was to 2028. Because that's a little ways down the line. We have five seasons before those picks potentially get into place. I'm not upset about that move, by the way, because you got the guy you wanted the whole time in the first place. You got Jairus Walker, and you got two future assets to utilize. That's I'm, I'm not really mad about the Pacers with that. I'm more mad about the likelihood that confusion happens. I guess the good news is, Koulibaly is going to the Wizards, whereas Kawhi Leonard was going to a competent organization like the Spurs. Well, so,
1: the the, odd, the part about that is, like, Shams tweets that the Pacers are selecting... I, don't want to say his last name. Balakoulebale. Thank you. Sure. I could say Balal. I just can't. Couldn't figure out the French pronunciation of that. Um, and then there wasn't really an immediate like the they trading kind sure. of deal. It, it took like a minute or two minutes. I'm like, I'm sitting there like, what in the world? I couldn't recall them working out this guy.
3: And and to be honest with you, I had thought three different days this week when looking at potential selections for the Pacers of. Well, this is a running mate of Wimbanyamas over there in France. They made it all the way to their league's title game. But I didn't know a lot about Bala Koulibaly. And if you're going to have a player, I believe this is how this happened for teams that wanted him. And in Washington's case, because he's still playing across the pond, you would have to send a scout over there or a couple team personnel over there to work him out. He's not coming to Indiana or not coming to Washington to work out for the team when he's still playing in a season overseas. That was my understanding of how that went down. But he was a name that we didn't mention once, but was on all these mock draft boards of a top 10 selection. And I thought, well, that could be interesting. Seven-two wingspan, 6'7", 194, operates as a wing. Maybe that's something the Pacers would explore. But I was more on the Cam Whitmore, Jarris Walker train. It was more of a question of curiosity for me at that point
1: the part on that that i think we should we can talk about a little bit jay cook is the fact that my guess is that that trade was made solely because indiana had another offer and they called washington correct
3: and that and that's why i think it happened because the rumor mill let's just say it was utah because utah was who was behind
1: or san antonio
3: washington. could have been san antonio as well that would make a lot of sense pair those two back together but Eddie's exactly right on that, and that was the discussions that I was having last night at the you know draft party that I was having at my house, which was, okay, why is this trade happening? What could be the reasoning for that? And the thought was, well, maybe Utah, maybe San Antonio, somebody behind Washington liked Koulibaly or had sent an offer to the Pacers, and perhaps either A, like Eddie mentioned, the Pacers made that call to Washington because they had known there was mutual interest there. We've never been in these war rooms, but the, their, their phone's going off. Like nobody's business, right? It's like trying to place a phone call somewhere on Black Friday. You're not you're not you're not getting not getting opportunities to really process every single call that's coming in unless you're a part of that war room or a part of that draft area. So the idea that there could be multiple calls for that pick makes sense. And it was one of those where it's one spot, there's different magnitude of moving one spot in that range in the NBA than there is in the NFL for a number of different reasons. Like For those that are like, well, they could have really gotten more here from the Wizards. I mean, it's two second rounders. And again, I understand that it's five years from now. But I've made this joke before about teams like the Trailblazers, teams like the Rockets, who quietly have a very, very nice core there. Very raw, very athletic. I don't know if it's going to translate to the type of basketball that elevates them to a championship or elevates them to a conference finals appearance in two or three years, but very intriguing. The roster that's there in Houston. So maybe we can't use them as the example from now on, but I look at teams like this when you're trading for future draft capital. And it's like, okay, where are they really going to be in five years? And even though they're second round selections, if you were to pick a team and tell me it was the wizards, you were banking on having a high level second round pick. I take that bet. I would five years from now, just based on history, Of the Washington Wizards, I would be fine with that being the long-term play. But clearly there was at least some mutual interest from other teams for the Wizards to go up and make that move. Didn't impact the Pacers in any way outside of scaring me for a second. I had a you had one job tweet ready in the drafts that I quickly paused once I had seen what Eddie was talking about, which was a lot of moving parts with that first trade of was it a real Pacers selection or did the Wizards do it? I believe Shams either edited his tweet or came out with a tweet shortly thereafter that it said, and this was with Pattern the rest of the night, team is taking this guy, but trading him to this team. And that wasn't clear initially when the Pacers were making that move at seven. That's why I was worried about the confusion. I figured that at some point in time, there would be this chaos element to both Pacers Twitter and the reactions as a whole. Also, even though I thought that the likes of Malika Andrews and J.J. Redick carried the day throughout the broadcast yesterday. From a visual standpoint, at least in terms of the way graphics are being thrown at you and the way it started, where we're just dragging it out to kind of make sure we we start at the time we want to start with, with Victor Romanyama's selection, it felt long. And that's not something that I've said in the past about NBA drafts, but it felt grueling to the point that If the Pacers wouldn't have had two late second rounders, I've never said this about an NBA draft before. I might've gone to bed.
1: That first round lasted three and a half hours. It was insane. The second round lasted an hour. Like
3: it was just mind numbingly bad in terms of just how long that first round felt. And every year we forget about that, how long first rounds can be, because we just... Come off the length of time that is spent with the NFL draft. And there's seven rounds there. And we think, ah, two rounds are going to be done. Done by 10 o'clock. We can watch a movie. Go binge watch Ted Lasso. I'll catch up on, on Secret Invasion, which was being pumped by Disney with their cross-branding with ESPN there, as you would expect. But no, didn't have time for that because the last selection wasn't made until nearly one in the morning. God bless Scott Van Pelt because I know he's not tired yet, but that's one of those nights where he's anticipating a midnight show and SportsCenter doesn't get going until one in the morning. But again, just the whole process from a visual standpoint, very confusing, very frustrating at times. There needs to be a better way than that. And I'm sorry, but it loses momentum from a long-term play out the career standpoint when the audio of Jairus Walker being selected, the clip that you're going to have until the end of time is the Washington Wizards select. That is a monumental moment where if Jairus Walker ends up being, I don't even mean a Hall of Famer. I just mean an all-NBA candidate, a piece to a championship team, or even a high-level contributor as a starter that is the next great Indiana Pacer. If that happens and this is like this for a lot of teams that were involved with trades, the sound clip you play of where their career started is not, for example, like the first overall pick Or there's clear emphasis and excitement. The San Antonio Spurs select Victor Wembanyama. There's not that. It's instead, oh, he went to, he's on a different team now. So that's more of a, it is what it is, first world problem type of thing, but visually very, very distracting. Pacers were not obviously done at eight. Jarvis Walker, again, fills an immediate need. The idea of having a front court with him and Miles Turner, very, very enticing. I think that from the aspect of needing to improve on defense and a bright defensive mind, one of the very best, in Rick Carlisle, I think this is a, a very nice, perfect match and is why, even though draft grades don't mean anything after today... They're mainly content for today. And then after that, it's okay. Prove it to me in training camp. Prove it to me when the season starts. A lot of A's given out for the pace with that selection because it made a lot of sense on a number of different fronts. But I was scared for a second when I tweeted out that, or was about to tweet out, you had one job. because I thought it was a trade back of aggressive proportions, not just one spot to still get Jairus Walker and take a couple second rounders from the Wizards. Wasn't mad about that. Taylor Hendricks winds up in Utah. In terms of other guys that we talked about as potential landing spots for Indiana, Grady Dick goes to Toronto. Fine with that. Send him in his red suit south of the, or uh, north of the border. I'm fine with that. Let's let's just see him a handful of times a year, and that's fine. He's still hunting for a Drake follow, I believe. Might ended up getting that at the end of last night. That was a big big point of conversation because it's always going to happen whenever anybody ends up in Toronto. Good news for the Hoosiers. Jalen Huchefino goes 17 to the Lakers. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. It's a very interesting setup there for him in LA. Another story that we had followed the last couple of years, Jaime Hawkins ends up in Miami, the star forward out of UCLA. Then we get back to the page of the twenty six. we scroll down. At that point, wasn't sure exactly where they were going to go. I had hoped, and Eddie probably doesn't like this, and a lot of people don't like this for a number of different reasons. There was part of me that was going to be content if Chris Murray was still there that maybe they might go that route. I don't know. I've I, even, even though Iowa has stabbed IU in the back a number of times in the last couple of years, particularly the Murray Twins, I get that there's frustrations there, but I like Keegan. I like Chris. I think he can be a solid player in the league. I'm not saying he's a top three or top four guy on a championship team, but I think he'd be solid.
1: Got a pretty easy player comp. <laughs>
3: he did. He did indeed. Yeah, we joke about how off the wall those player comps are. Who's Chris Murray remind you of? Oh, Keegan Murray. Yep, that's simple. Nobody had to work hard for that within the production team. Let's
1: have some originality here. Come on.
3: <laughs> so they get Ben Shepard out of Belmont. They get another shooter, a player that is capable of doing well to make his own shot when asked upon. I thought the way that Adrian Wojnarowski worded it was weird because I don't know if he didn't want to announce it was Ben Shepard or if... Perhaps Woj was stumped. There's no way that's what happened.
1: Well, like originally he didn't want to announce picks at all. Like if well, he, he came out and said he wanted to focus on TV and be ready for his TV hits and not spoil and let people enjoy it.
3: And you know what? The problem is. And
1: then he waited like 20 picks.
3: You know what, you know what happens? Breaking news is a drug, man. It really is. And when you're as good as it good at it as Adrian Wojanowski is. You saw those first couple news hits, and then halfway through, oh, sorry, Malika, I was talking to an agent. Sorry, Malika, I was talking to a GM. <laughs> like, I, I get it. You're, you're so intertwined with everything, you can't help yourself. And by the way, I am in the camp of I like news getting broken to me on Twitter. A lot of people are, don't spoil it for me. I want to see you on the draft. I respect that. I understand that. I don't spoil it for people unless they're like, hey, we want to know. And by people, I mean like people I'm watching with, right? Like a handful of family members and friends who are like, ah, I don't want to know. My nephew Al, we were going back and forth laughing about the news breaking and then like being ahead of it. Because it's fun. I love news. I love getting things first. A lot of people do. That's why the content game is so aggressive. But the way Andrew Wozniowski words it is Pacers are targeting a, I'm going to paraphrase here, but a rising mid-major player. And then you start looking at potential mid-major options. And they wind up going with Ben Shepard. This is a sharpshooter. This is a player that In theory, in a perfect world, not only adds another three point threat on this team, but as you looked up and down the Pacers roster. And nobody wants to have this conversation day after the draft, I get it, but you have to start as a front office. And if you think this isn't happening now, you're kidding yourself. You have to start as a front office viewing what this core is going to be and who are you building around this core with? I would be very surprised from a monetary standpoint and from a regression of what usually happens when you get into your upper 30s that in four years from now, when we're talking about this core, assuming it worked as a one to three seed, yes, I'm talking four years from now, that would be my goal to see the Pacers legitimately competing for that top level of the Eastern Conference. I mean, heck, if we're setting next year as four to six, not in the play-in, but a playoff team, that's not a big leap. In fact, that's a generous cushion to ask the Pacers to be there in four years. But if that's what you're looking at four years from now, and you're really looking at this roster closely, Buddy Heald's not here at 34. He's 30 right now. Buddy Heald is not here as a 34-year-old unless the money's right, and they really, truly like what he is as a player. And everybody does right now. But Heald is one of the more exciting players on this Pacers team. A lot of it, of course, has to do because he has out of the gym range. But at some point, it's going to have to be met on a real dollars and cents area. And the next time his contract's up, I don't know if the Pacers are going to be in a spot where they're going to want to meet what the market might demand for Healed as an aging shooter. And if that's the case, you have to have answers of who's next. Who is the next real threat from beyond the arc? And outside of Tyrese Halliburton, there is not a clear answer of a true starting level player on this team prior to last night that can fill that role, that can competently fill that role. I'm not guaranteeing you that the selection of Ben Shepard does that, but he's a senior. He's one of the more older players in this draft, about to turn 22 will be 22 by the time the season starts. I like the selection. Not upset about it. Your first round picks that you had initially before all this started was 7, 26, and 29. You make that move with Denver, so you know you have two in the chamber to figure this out in the first round. My main goal with any of this, don't get too cute, find the clear need, or if there's a best available that you think can't miss, like had the Thompson Twins fell, which by the way... And we'll get into this at some point as well during the show. I, I hate to do it to him, but we are able to gain perspective and feel better about ourselves But by talking about our failings. And Eddie Garrison had
1: probably one of the toughest
3: beats, definitely in draft history. I but, love those 2028 picks, Jimmy. But
1: but we'll, we'll get into that. As did everyone on the fan.
3: <laughs> we, we will get into that. Yes, as did everybody on the fan. We'll get into how betting the draft was painful in some angles and we gave you a winner as well if you listened to our picks at the end of the day yesterday but outside of that as long as you were addressing those big needs or you weren't getting too cute with the process or reaching for Grady Dick I wasn't going to be too irritated today with what the Pacers did with those first two picks I like Jairus Walker I do, I like Ben Shepard I think that Either one of them, Shepard, is at that range where you're hoping it's not a Duarte thing again, right? Where you took an older player that is a capable shooter, but that his game doesn't fully mesh the next level. I don't think that's the case here with Shepard. But it answers another question of where are we going to find the rest from beyond the arc as we're building this core? And again, is still yet to turn 22 years old. So we stress that all the time in the NBA. Oh, he's already a senior. And that's jarring sometimes. When you look at freshman, 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 18-year-old, 19-year-old. But plenty of time still for additional development with what the Pacers would like Ben Shepard ideally to be. So no real frustrations here with the first round selections made by the Indiana Pacers. There is some confusion, though, that I have with what went down last night in the second round. We're going to address that when we come back. We'll also talk a little bit about the bets that were made some of the selections we had for you, and why one of us had a fist pump. Get that small violin going. And one of us was playing the world's smallest violin. We'll discuss those bets and some confusion in the second round on the Pacers' end we return to the Fan Midday Show, 93.5-107.5 The Fan.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
3: Fan Midday Show, happy Friday to you. Eddie Garrison behind the ones and twos. I'm Jimmy Cook. You can follow me on Twitter at TheJCook. You can hit Eddie up at Eddie Garrison underscore. And of course, find all of our wall-to-wall coverage of not just the Pacers draft at the countdown to Colts training camp at 1075thefan.com and by following on Twitter at 1075thefan. Pacers draft behind us, but plenty to react to today. We already addressed the first round selections of Ben Shepard and Jarris Walker. We'll continue to dissect those and look at the impact of what this does for the Pacers and what they hope is their final year of this rebuild throughout the day today. Kevin Bowen going to join us top of the hour. The TV voice of your Indiana Pacers from Bally Sports, Kristen Ari will join us at the bottom of the 1 o'clock hour. Dan Purcell, former NBA front office executive, top of the 2 o'clock hour, will take us through his live draft show, as well as how he felt the Pacers came out yesterday and what will be left for them from the high-level amount of cap space they have at their disposal with NBA free agency knocking on the door. And Alex Golden will give us that full local beat writer perspective from the Pacers at the bottom of the 2 o'clock hour.
1: I wonder w- if Dan knows what the Pacers can do with that $4.35 million they got from the Lakers. I bet
3: he does. It's a great question. We will hit him with that because that was an initial point of confusion. I believe there was some clarity on Twitter, but we'll ask Dan because he would know as a former front office guy. That's not something that, at least the way I understand it, can be used from a cap space standpoint. Meaning that if the Pacers have $25 million in cap space. With that trade from the Lakers, they don't now have $29 million in cap space because no player came off the books. But we'll get clarity from that. It's it's a great angle, and we'll get that point addressed for sure, Eddie, once we have Dan Purcell again at the top of the 2 o'clock hour. But I want to go back to the most frustrating and, and confusing point of the night for me in the last... 12 hours that have ensued since then. If you were following me on Twitter last night, you knew there was some frustration for me that not once, but twice the Indiana Pacers passed on IU forward, Trace Jackson Davis. Now on the front end here, I want to be clear. Would this have been the best fit for him? No, it would not have. Even as, and we'll talk to Alex about this as well, he tweeted out the depth chart, even though there was room for an additional power forward to be placed on the roster, even with the addition of Walker, with Trace's style, I don't know that it would have been the perfect fit here in Indiana. But where I have confusion, and I don't think that, by the way, any of these two parties are lying, but there's clearly gray area now because earlier today on Kevin and query, which you can hear 7 to 10 AM Monday through Friday, Pacers general manager, Chad Buchanan was on and he was asked about point blank and and tip of the cap. You expect nothing less from Kevin and Jake to ask this as direct as they did and tip of the cap as well to Chad Buchanan for answering it, not dodging the question and being very open, honest about it of why they did not take trace Jackson Davis when the opportunity presented itself to them twice last night.
4: I mean, we love Trace Jackson-Davis as a player. And, you know, sometimes it's got to be a mutual interest. Um, You know, you don't want to have a player with you that is, you know, not coming in wanting to be there. And so, you know, Trace is going to be a terrific player. And um, like I said, we were big fans. Obviously, our roster and what he is, the position he plays, wasn't a great fit, and we understood that. And, you know, his representatives understood that. But... Um, you know, if, if we have been in a situation where we didn't have four players at his position, um, you know, I think Trace would have been a great option for us. And like I said, we were big fans of his game.
1: So then was there discussion, I would assume from that,
3: from Trace Jackson Davis or his camp that he would have been happier going elsewhere and that he didn't feel Indiana was a fit for him? I think that's accurate to say. So a couple things with that. Again, I agree wholeheartedly. With the fit thing. Now, is Isaiah Wong, who I enjoyed in the NCAA tournament, even though if you listen to this show regularly, you know I went to Indiana, so like anybody that wants their team to do well, didn't enjoy getting my heart ripped out by Isaiah Wong in the NCAA tournament, but it's the way it goes, right? It happens. Is Isaiah Wong going to be one of those diamonds in the rough that you find at the back end of the second round and be a clear part of what the Pacers are going to be three, four years down the line. Statistically speaking, it's a long shot, but I'm not the type of person to come on here and just rally against a 18, 19 or 20 year old for living out their dream and making it to the NBA. Like, I I don't know. Wong is an interesting prospect. We know how much this Pacers front office loves shooters. They love guards. It is a guard driven league. I'm not necessarily irate about the selection, but Trace Jackson Davis has a future in this league. I don't know if it's where he probably thinks it is, which is a starting power forward somewhere. But there's an area and a pathway with his ability to move without the basketball have that type of vision where it feels like he's a step or two ahead with his passes, that it makes sense in a high fluid offense. He could succeed. And I'll get into that in a moment, but back to Chad Buchanan's comments. I agree with the fit. I agree with the aspect from the Pacers side of things that he might not have fit within what their plans were. They didn't see an avenue for him here in Indiana. And that is completely fine. That is professional. That's business. But this is the gray area that I'm confused on. With Chad Buchanan saying and implying that Trace Jackson Davis and his camp did not want to come here for that same fit. If that is the feelings the Pacers got or the direct statements the Pacers got from Trace Jackson Davis' team, why then two to three minutes... After the Pacers made that pick, did Trace Jackson Davis break radio silence on Twitter outside of, you know, the, the promo picks of his draft party at 1214 AM with the following tweet? Y'all will regret it. I promise you. Now, this was tweeted out again today by the NBN ESPN Twitter account. But the way it was framed was that Trace Jackson Davis tweeted this at the end of the draft. It's not when it happened. I know it's not when it happened because I reacted to it live when it happened. It happened moments after the Pacers passed on the first time. Why unless we're going to say, which is possible, we live in a conspiracy filled, we live in a conspiracy filled world. Why would Trace Jackson Davis get on Twitter, blast his hometown team for passing on him when he didn't want to play here? When he didn't see a fit here. Like, this is not going to bat for an Indiana Hoosier because I went there. This is going to bat for one of us, one of our own. A Hoosier by true standpoint of the very name because he grew up and was raised here. Right? Like, this is not me going to bat for Jalen Hood Shafino and saying, oh man, the Pacers should have traded up to go get him because he went to Indiana. That's not what it is. It is a hometown kid late into the second round. But they didn't see the fit. And again, I don't blame the Pacers for that. I I get it. I understand that it's a crowded area there. Where I have the frustration is you're going to say that he didn't want to be here. Why would he tweet directly after he's passed on by his hometown team if he didn't want to be here? That's an answer we're probably never going to get. But it's wildly confusing to me. Outside of that, I appreciate the transparency and the honesty from Chad Buchanan because it wouldn't have made a ton of sense long-term unless Trace Jackson Davis elevates to the player he thinks he is. And he potentially could be, which is taking one of those starting spots or arriving at a point where like Cody Zeller, not this most recent version of him, but like Cody Zeller during his time in the NBA early years or like Thomas Bryant, where They're able to find a way to thrive in this league without necessarily having a shot from beyond the arc. And I know that's a point of contention because Trace Jackson Davis was as dominant as anybody in college basketball when it came to low post option. Why would you go shoot from beyond the arc if nobody can stop you from down low? That's a Shaq philosophy. Again, I'm not comparing Trace Jackson Davis to Shaq, but... Except you just did. Go watch the Shaq documentary. There's parallels to that mindset. There's a difference between comparing the two players and drawing parallels to what big men think, which is big men think, if you can't stop me, why in the world would I do something else? But Trace Jackson Davis believes he has a nice jumper. Those that have worked with Trace Jackson Davis believe he has a nice jumper. And you saw it in the combine. It was fine, right? Much like any pro day, I can't make a real evaluation on that because... It's a dress rehearsal with nobody there except you and a basketball and a couple scouts. It's not real-time in-game action. So with that body of work, you view him as a limited big man that has a ceiling for what today's NBA does. And a number of NBA draft scouts and analysts had kind of had similar sentiments because they had Trace Jackson-Davis as high as the back end of the first round. We're talking 18 to 29 range where you saw Trace Jackson-Davis for the entirety of this process. And I feel really bad for Trace, not on the Pacers front as much as I do what kind of advice he was getting through this process. Because had he not gotten drafted, and I'm thankful he did, and I know he is as well, and he's going to have a real opportunity to be a part of Golden State and what they're going to be next year. I don't know if the Chris Paul experiment's going to work, but the idea of seeing... Chris Paul, Trace Jackson Davis, second unit pick and rolls. Oh boy. Sign me up for that. The Warriors were already must-see League Pass TV to begin with, inherently, because they have the two best shooters of all time. That's already a given. But now you have that local element. I'm all here for it. But there were moments last night where I'm looking at this draft unfold for Trace Jackson Davis, and I thought maybe he shouldn't have come out. Because that NIL money is good. Oh, is it good?
1: $900,000?
3: And if you think Zach Eady got it good, imagine what another year of Trace Jackson Davis probably would have been able to draw for him. Now again, I tampered those thoughts a bit once he finally got selected, but we're looking at the very back of the draft at that point. That is not, go look at any mock draft, go look at any scouting report on him. That was not the range that was expected coming out for this year's NBA draft. But he ends up with a team. So it's hard to have real buyer's remorse there of his decision when he actually gets to realize his dream. But there were moments where yeah, I was worried. Because you don't come out of the draft or you don't come out to the draft with the hope of being an undrafted rookie. Not when you have the type of expectations and are being told the type of expectation that Trace Jackson Davis was told. But I'll tell you something. If you could pick a team to end up in, And regardless of where his shooting improves at from beyond the arc, again, the passing ability alone and his quickness and his agility, and that's not even including his hops. I mean, I know he's not as tall as JaVale McGee, but with the Warriors at the height of their powers, they were able to make big men that weren't real threats be exquisite in their offensive attack. And I see that future for Trace Jackson Davis. So I think it's a perfect fit for him. My larger confusion is just the fit thing is where you could have stopped. It could have been done. It we, we didn't see the fit. We look at our roster. We got a ton of power forwards. I don't know that he would have made a lot of sense for our team. And, and I don't fully disagree with that. I can only go so far with the draft the hometown hero argument because you have to address needs in this league. And it'd be disingenuous for me to sit here and be like, oh, the, 55, the 55th pick doesn't matter. Just take him there. Well, you just don't know. I'm not saying Isaiah Wong is going to be Nikola Jokic, but the Taco Bell jokes in the second round of his draft are jokes for a reason because it's a throwaway pick on paper that winds up being an MVP, a finals MVP and an NBA champion. Quite a high bar for Isaiah Wong, but you get my point.
1: And there's a reason why they went to break. Every time the Pacers <laughs> picked in the second round, Jimmy.
3: They waited for that Nets pick, though. I know. Oh, well, they waited for that Nets pick. So it's Can- Dr.
1: Pepper, by the way, from Mojave <laughs> King. Right. So he's got He's got to be uh, 23 to represent the 23 different flavors.
3: Well, <laughs> I really like that. You need, to get, you need to make some calls, get yourself some side hustle, and get a cut of that marketing campaign. There we go. Because it's genius on your part. So end up with Mojave King at 47, Isaiah Wong at 55, Trace Jackson Davis, not a Pacer. But again, I just, unless you want to chalk it up to, and he's not deleted it yet. Trace has not deleted that tweet. Unless you want to chalk it up to a player that's frustrated with how the draft night went and is just tweeting into the void because he's angry. Doesn't make sense for me, for him to only respond after one selection was made instead of him by the Pacers. It doesn't make sense for that tweet to go out unless he genuinely liked the idea of coming to Indiana. But that's one gray mark, one area of confusion on an otherwise very solid night for the Indiana Pacers. They addressed their key needs. They did not get too cute in the first round. And they added in future draft assets once again, which is what all these trades turned out to be. We made all this noise about how there were going to be more trades made. And I thought there were. And to be clear, I'll, I'll knock about confusion or maybe mischaracterizing a player, but I won't knock the effort for Chad Buchanan and Kevin Pritchard because they realize as well as any of us do the importance of last night's draft. If this team legitimately wants to be out of the lottery and the view is, oh, they're not going to be in the lottery next year. I mean, I feel good about that too, but you're an injury away in this league from anything being derailed. So we can't officially crown them as, as not a lottery team again in this era of the Pacers. But I would like them not to be. I know Pacers fans want that feeling of, okay, there were games lost at a high volume last season, but boy, were there strides. And now it's time to take a leap forward this year. And if that's the mindset that you can have about a team that still has $25 million in cap space before free agency starts, it's hard to be too angry with what went down last night. Outside of, again, the hometown hero field story would have been great. But I think it's more of Chad Buchanan's comments, the fit thing versus Trace Jackson Davis not necessarily wanting to be here. Because I just don't think he's the type of person that would like tweet that out to take a shot at the Pacers for no reason. That's all it was. Look the timestamps up. That's all it was. It was right after that pick was made, and it happened before the next selection. We mentioned bets. We'll mention how one of us had a draft bet hit. One of us thought we had a draft bet selection. Bring us some sweet cash. But then it was robbed with how the NBA draft works. We'll get into that reaction when we return on the Fan Midday Show.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
3: Welcome back to Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison. We love giving out bets on this program. We're going to do that again today at the end of the show. But it's always fun to be able to throw draft prompts out there when... You have events like the NBA draft or the NFL draft. We could do that twice a year. Eddie, I don't know if you dabble in it. I don't dabble in the MLB draft. I don't place any prop bets there. But you're a big baseball guy, so maybe
1: you would. I don't follow that part enough to know who's going where. Fair enough. Because there's so many different... Outcomes you can go like you don't know if a guy's gonna want to you know draft Max Clark from Franklin for example and first overall because he's in high school he's young or they want to go with the guy who's throwing 104 50 times like last night uh, from LSU in that College World Series game against Wake Forest. A
3: couple different angles there for sure, but again you really have to look at it at a high level to be able to be betting MLB draft prop bets. A little bit easier and smaller sample size when you're looking at. First round selections in the NFL and the NBA. Speaking of which, do you want to start with the win or do you want to start with the frustrating loss here? I don't here. care. I don't care. All right. We'll start with the win. Ay, 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 ay! <laughs> this wasn't by any means a hard bet to make. And it was really only made because of the value that was there. But it broke yesterday. And I believe it was Shams. I can't remember who. That Scoot Henderson was going to be the pick by Charlotte at number two. And that had been, you can go search it on Twitter. I won't waste the segment here. But that had been a back and forth pendulum swing for about 48 hours on the odds boards for if it was going to be Brandon Miller or if it was going to be Scoot Henderson. And we gave you out those bets. Brandon Miller to the Hornets was plus, I think, anywhere from 180 to 240, depending on what draft book you went at. That's a bet that I made last night because, again, you get so close to the draft where it feels like, okay, agents are posturing, teams are posturing. What really makes the most sense? All right, let's go with Brandon Miller. So we hit you a W there, and that's always nice because those odds are usually a little bit juicy. And I love prop bets.
5: We're in the money. Aye, aye. aye, aye. <laughs> oh
3: man shout out Brian No, shout out to Brian no that's the that's one of the good things that have come from our revolving door of chaos is that we have sound bites from a number of different people including one Brian no Freddie Garrison though his beat was not only was not only an instance of where he knew the selection the pacers were going to make he felt confident in that wager but it didn't pan out because of the way the bets are worded with all the sports books. Eddie Garrison, I'll let you take it from there. The floor is yours in this in this morning session of, of
1: grief. Well, well I gave it out last yesterday as part of the uh the two picks I had. Um RIP to Shane McClanahan. Hope you're doing okay, bud. Um in the in that raised bullpen, by the way. <laughs> so I and two yesterday, 0 four in the week, which it's just been brutal on the week so far for me. Um but the worst part of it had Jarrett Walker going seventh to the Pacers. And what do you know? We're trading the pick for two 28 second rounders. <laughs> Woo. Those 2028 20, stocks. Let's go. You know, there's just so many Nikola Jokic is walking around the association. And we lose because they move back one spot. It's
3: brutal. It's as bad as it gets because Eddie Garrison was the was the payout here. I got it. the wager, it was- What would the payout been for you.
1: Uh, I got it when it was plus two hundred. Okay, so this was uh, earlier in the week. That's great value. Late last week, yeah.
3: And again, it's one of those situations where if you followed the show, they don't let you bet on the team to make the selection. It's the pick that. Oh, it's moronic. or the player goes. It's, it's a weird. It's a weird. It's setup. a money
1: grab. It's a. It's, it's just. <laughs> it's just a scam, Jimmy.
3: <laughs> it's an opportunity to to rally against the system, Freddie Garrison. So, talk about bad beats they don't just happen because you had an under that you're feeling pretty good about in the late stages of college football Saturday. They also happen because you made the right selection for your team, for the NBA draft, but then a trade happens and it throws everything out the door and you're reevaluating why you bet been on NBA draft prop bets. You
1: just start days. reevaluating life yeah. and it's like, what am I doing? <laughs>
3: Like were there, what are we doing here? Were there any draft bets you were able to hit on, or was that the only one that you played?
1: That was the only one I felt confident, and everything else was always too juiced for me to play. I don't like playing the minus minus one sixties when it comes to NBA draft props because especially of that. something like that happens. It's, yeah, yeah, because yep. like, yeah, yeah. If I could have found an, an exacta for like the first <laughs> five, that was somewhat nice. Sure. I would have done it because the first five to me seemed like locks in each spot. The only question was. Is Portland going to trade it, or are they going to keep it?
3: And that, again, from a trade standpoint, didn't provide the fireworks at all on draft night. It wasn't just a Pacers thing. We hyped up the type of movement that the Pacers would be able to make. And look, I'm not going to fully knock future draft capital, even though, and Eddie, and I discussed this a little bit off the air, the level of talent in 2024 is interesting. Probably a nice way to put it. Doesn't have the same hype and pizzazz this year's draft did, but at least not the Nuggets pick next year for the Pacers. The range that they could potentially get in would be nice to the back end of the first round. So don't hate that, but for Eddie's bet to be lost by 2 2028 second rounders, we, we pour one out for you, Eddie. I
1: have a question for you. Sure. Can you name any of the guys that are projected to go top five?
3: I've not taken a glance at it, so no, I cannot.
1: Good. You've got two players from the G League Ignite, a Spaniard, a Frenchman, and a Kentuckian.
3: <laughs> got, got all the bases covered there. So, no, I've not. I usually two have two centers. <laughs> can they shoot? Um, that's usually been my mindset with drafts. You have so much time poured into one that it's hard to overconsume yourself with 2024.
1: But all the props in the world
3: to everybody that's going to be publishing the way too early 2024. They're already out there. And
1: you know McKenzie them. and Baco going uh, 15th.
3: <laughs> Still a couple of the fan midday show. We'll get the local angle from Pacers beat writer and podcast host of Setting the Pace Alex Golden at 2.30. Dan Purcell, former front office executive, will take us through all of the draft from last night, as well as the opportunity available within free agency for the Pacers. That'll be at the top of the 2 o'clock hour. Bottom of the 1 o'clock hour, Kristen Erie will give us the Pacers team perspective on the selections they made and what this does for their young core. But when we return, the fan zone Kevin Bowen will stop by where we'll get his reactions from how the Pacers were able to hopefully draft their way out of the lottery for quite some time. KB joins us next on the Fan Midday Show. Fan Midday Show on a Friday post-Pacers draft. Jimmy Cook with Eddie Garrison behind the ones and twos. Man, this is a treat. From the YouTube audience, you know what I'm talking about. Traditionally, with these Friday conversations with one of our favorites, the fans own Kevin Bowen. You can find his work, 1075fan.com. And of course, here on Monday through Friday from 7 to 10 AM on Kevin and Query in studio today. Again, I'm not gonna fully roll out the red carpet like royalty, but what, what do I what do I owe the pleasure here? Is it is it media availability for the pacers later? Is it just where the schedule worked out? What do I owe the pleasure? I, maybe I wanted to see you and Eddie smiling faces
6: here. Man. You know, He I wanted know. to see
1: my Cincinnati red shirt. That's yeah. probably
6: it. Sold out, Eddie, for this weekend with the Braves in town. Uh, no, I, I did have a little draft content action. Um, like you said, presser coming up at 2. But I feel like it's been a while. That, it, ha- it has been. That I've been in studio So with you. Uh, and I like to sit in the Jake Query chair just to manage uh, all the <laughs> technological difficulties. He seems to... Uh, hit every morning from 7 to 10 a.m., so I'd like to just kind of troubleshoot some of those.
3: Does it help you also get more appreciation for the type of weight that he has to carry from 7 to 10?
6: Uh, well, let's not go there. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's not let's not
3: feed the ego any more than it needs to be fed. Fair enough. Pacers draft. We already talked about a little bit. Let's we'll start with the first round with Jairus Walker. Were you as confused as I think a lot of Pacers were initially with the NBA and how they present trades? Or were you like me where... You had your sign screen on Twitter, sure. you knew it was happening, but you felt a little bit for the average Pacers fan.
6: That's a good way to describe it. Yeah. I mean, you and I fall into the whatever, the two, three percentile that's locked into Twitter like the losers we are. Um, and so I'm sitting there watching the telecast and, and, you know, I was watching with my wife Maddie and she's sitting there like, oh, so, you know, what should I know about this guy? About Bilal. And and I'm like, well, that's not actually the guy. And then, like, she looks up like three minutes later. She's like, wait, he's wearing a Pacers hat? Are you sure? And I'm like, this is so confusing to the average fan. I mean, I'm sure you've touched on this already, Jimmy. I thought the ESPN broadcast was utterly horrific. Um, You know, to me, you've got an ABC broadcast and ESPN broadcast. ABC should be casual fan, human interest, parents, siblings, coaches, everything. ESPN, sprinkle a little bit of that in. I'm fine with that, but let's get the analysis. Let's like rely on the ESPN personalities that you, you know, pay an absurd amount of money to. Not enough JJ Reddick. I thought Jay Bills was pretty poor up there as well. Um, so yeah, I, I just thought I, I'm not one that usually rants and raves like, oh my gosh, media, you know, broadcast this and that. But I just thought the product in general, which to your point, you're talking more NBA rules based on the confusion. That's not necessarily as much ESPN. Yeah. I mean, yes, I think they probably could have stepped in a little bit earlier and been like, here's Woj, this is our first. Because at that point, that was our first lottery trade, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken of the night there. Uh, but I think the NBA needs to take a little assessment of the offseason and say, all right, let's stop with the stupid hat thing on draft night. Let's provide more clarity for our fans.
3: I mean, this is what I've been banging on the table. And I know you have as well for the last couple of years, because, and we'll, we'll have Dan Purcell on a little bit later, as I mentioned, top of the two o'clock hour, former NBA front office executive, and maybe get some clarity there, but it has to be a rule, but it's a dumb rule. Like I, I don't, I don't get the semantics of it where, not only the hat, but for all time, if Jairus Walker ends up being the next star of the Pacers, if they want to have a spot for him, I know I'm, I know I'm jumping way too far ahead here, but just this is what sure. the fact of the reality is. If he ends up having a spot in the Pacers Hall of Fame, there's an exhibit about Jairus Walker, and it starts with his draft night selection, is it more impactful to hear the Indiana Pacers select, or an hour and a half later, we have a trade to announce?
6: Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, Walker was confused as well. You know, I mean, unless your agent is incredibly plugged in right then and there, which you know the agent probably should be. To be fair, uh, pretty confusing. Now, as far as the trade itself, totally good with it. I mean, like trade back with spot, you save what two and a half million, and you add a couple second round picks. And but you know that Kevin Pritchard and his staff have done a really nice job of. On paper stuff that doesn't look like a lot it adds up and we won't get into like the NBA rules but like second round picks matter Mm -hmm. to teams especially from a financial standpoint and so that is critical when you start to piece together future trade packages down the road and Chad Buchanan said it to us earlier today when we had him on of at some point you're gonna kind of turn the leaf over as a franchise and say we're not trying to get five picks in one draft we look at those picks and say, yeah, we like them, but we'd like to move them for a player. Or we'd like to do something of substance a little bit more. And I think they tried that at seven, but they just couldn't pull it off there. But it seems like that is something that they'll continue to be very open-minded about.
3: Were we wrong then, or did we jump it a year too early to have this thought that, again, you're not going to make five selections in one draft? And I guess they didn't. They made four. And with the two-way contract ability, they'll still have a roster spot or two to be able to play around how they want to the rest of the offseason, but it did feel like at times, and I'm not mad about the way the draft went for them. I'm very happy with all the needs that they addressed, but it felt like we were anticipating or expecting, even if it wasn't with seven, some type of real movement that wasn't just 228 second rounders, which I don't necessarily hate. Like the Wizards could be really bad in five years. They're not exactly a franchise that exudes championship pedigree. I'm not mad about that move, but they still end up with four selections where I thought there might be actual movement.
6: Yeah, I mean, getting the future first was something I really wanted to see them do, and they did that with with Denver. I mean, I I do think you hear from Kevin Pritchard after the season, and he talks about the two big moves they tried to make at the trade deadline, and obviously that didn't happen you know even again chad buchanan on with us earlier today saying we tried very very hard to trade for a vet unfortunately those players weren't necessarily available so i do think it's a reminder of like you need a two-way street i mean i know this isn't doesn't fall in the veteran category but chad said to us today as soon as cam whitmore villanova got to 10 the pacers started to to make calls from 10 to 20 so for 10 picks you're making calls now at some point the value just gets to a level where you say we like them, we don't like them that much because teams, you know, are, are trying to kind of fleece you there in that situation. So, I, I, I do believe the Pacers in that they're open-minded to that. But Jimmy, I'm also not one that thinks like you're pushing all the chips into the table right now. I, like I, I still want to hold on to a few. Um, they've done an unbelievable job the last 18 months in getting this mm-hmm. rebuild on really solid ground. But I don't think you're there just yet where it's. We're trading for Andrew Bynum and Evan Turner and all all of a sudden, you know, we're gonna we're gonna win a title. <laughs> right, like I, I right. don't think you're there as a franchise. I think you just kind of naturally continue to let this grow. You know, Tyrese Halliburton's been a pacer for just over a year. You kind of forget about yeah. like things like that. So I was good with what they did last night, add in the future first, and now you let this season play out. You put Matherin in the starting lineup with Halliburton. That's something we haven't really seen yet either. And then at some point, yes, you you're going to you know turn the throttle up a little bit more. Um, I understand when you have seven overall, it, it could have happened last night, but I was okay with them still you know kind of operating in a little bit more of a, hey, we're in stage three of a four-stage rebuild or something like that.
3: When you look at now Tyrese Halliburton, when you look at Benedict Matherin, and you look at Jarrus Walker, Kevin Bowen, nice enough to join us here on the Fan Midday Show. When you look at those selections, is this a core that you feel optimistic about their ability to build around. You're not going to be able to analyze the development of a three-year track right now. But when you look at the core they've now established and the hope that they won't be in the lottery next year, is this a nucleus when you were mapping things out mock draft-wise and the countless evaluation we did that I see this, I see what they're really trying to build when you plug Walker in there?
6: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Walker was easily the best fit if you were purely going off that. I know you and Hyatt, Hi- had this debate of, you know, do you go best player available at seven or do you go best fit? And they clearly told us what they did. They went best fit. If they want to go best player available, they would have taken Bilal, maybe. You're thinking big picture of like, let's take the biggest swing, I guess, is probably the better way to put it. Or even a Cam Whitmore. Uh, But they clearly went with best fit there. Um, I think it's a group right now. And we'll see how next week unfolds because we all know the first week of July is wild in the NBA. So when, you know, you and I have this conversation in July, it'll probably be different. <laughs> but right now I see a team that should be in that five to six range in the Eastern Conference. You know, assuming health cooperates there. But I mean, you're looking at a starting lineup of Buddy Heald, Tyrese Halliburton, Benedict Matherin, Jarrus Walker, Miles Turner. And a bench unit in some grouping of Andrew Nemhard and T.J. McConnell and Aaron Neesmith, and I assume Chris Duarte is outside looking in right now. You know Ben Shepherd, um, you know Isaiah Jackson. The, you know though Jalen Smith, those sorts of guys. I'm sure I'm missing a couple that would be in that second unit. But when I look at it, when I just look at the roster in general, Jimmy, I see a 10 to 11 man group that is much more of a modern. Look to the NBA. It's a much younger look to the NBA. Everybody that matters in that 10 to 11 group is under contract heading into next season as well. And now you just, I think, are better equipped to have success not only this coming season but in future years. You still need more tweaking. you certainly you certainly need that. Um, but I just feel a lot better about where you're at versus where you were a couple years ago. And again, I, I think in in the you know hierarchy of the Eastern Conference of the 15 teams,
3: I think you should be a top half team. As you see the amount of guards on this roster stack up, and a clear question mark that I had going into last night's draft was, Buddy Heald is your main, like, true, dominant, reliable three-point threat as a starter. And if you're talking about dealing him at the deadline or perhaps trying to maximize where his value is with this being a contract year for him, what are their options going to be the rest of the season with him? When you look at the shooters they've acquired and you're looking at how this thing's mapped out, does it change your evaluation at all or where is your evaluation rather is probably the better question of what Buddy Healed is for this team just focusing on this season.
6: Yeah, I, mean, I know John has talked about it a lot. Buddy Heald's really important because when you map out the starting lineup that we just did, you know, Matherin was what last year? Was he 32% from three? I, 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 I don't know what the exact number was. And obviously, Jarvis Walker was 34 in college. That's not a great number. It's not awful, but it's not a great number. So you have two guys there that, you know, on the old, you know, whiteboard in the locker room before the game, they're not yelling, run out at him at all costs and make him put the ball on the floor. They're saying, you know, he can hit one, but we don't need to treat him like we need to treat Buddy Heald. So I think Buddy is really important for spacing. Um, You know, Jimmy, to me, shooting is a skill set that just doesn't die as quickly as other skill sets. And so, he's been really durable throughout his career. Um, So, I think that is appealing. But at the same time, a question I was asking some of our guests over the last few weeks, we knew what the number 1 need was going into last night. It was the wing, the four-man defender. And that's obviously what you did with Walker. But when I asked people what the second need was, in my mind, it was another shooter. Because Buddy is in a contract here, and you can't totally ignore that because you never know how trades are going to develop and how—and he is north of 30, and I know that his track record says that he has been very durable throughout his career, but you can't just act like he's 82 games for the next four years, and he's going to re-sign with you, and he's going to shoot it at a rather historic clip, which is what he shot it at throughout his career. Um, So I think it was wise to make the Ben Shepard move and and just get a little bit of— A bit of insurance there, but the con of putting a guy like Buddy in the starting lineup is him and Tyrese Halliburton as one of the more poor... Defensive backcourts you're going to see in the NBA. Yeah. Benedict Mather needs to take a stride on that end of the floor. He's too athletic to, you know, not be a better defensive player. Obviously, that's where Walker helps, certainly Turner as well. So, uh, again, I, I still view Buddy as a really important piece. I'd answer calls on anybody on my roster. No one is untouchable, even Halliburton. You know, just gather all the intel, <laughs> gather all the intel, <laughs> right. and, and obviously there'll be price packages that will differ a whole lot for for, for various guys. But I, I think Buddy is critical to this team.
3: My viewpoint has never been trade buddy tomorrow. It is that when I'm looking at what this core is going to be four years from now, and there's no doubt that Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan are always valuing that way. You have to in a rebuild. You have to be looking two or three years ahead, not just from a cap standpoint, but just from a roster construction standpoint. And I go back to your point of, I'm not saying he's going to get hurt. I'm saying once you get into that 32, 33, 34 range, some of it starts to lose its mojo. Now, shooting's always there. You pointed that out. I mean, shooting's always going to be there, but the price point would have to be such a favorable aspect of this extension, whatever it happens moving forward, for me to want him to be here for two to three more years. I think right now, to be able to be a leader in that locker room and be a starting presence that can help everybody else develop, I think is great. But you're right. They know it's a contract year for him, and I'm not saying he's going to get the full Miles Turner treatment, but... He would be a very attractive piece if at the deadline you're looking to either gain assets or sure gain a, another veteran something. Yeah,
6: I mean, obviously this is worst-case scenario, but if you have a big entry to Tyrese Halliburton, the season starts to go down a yeah. really poor path, yes, a trading buddy healed the deadline to a contender you would think would net something in return. But I'll, I'll reiterate, Jimmy, again, I think he's vitally important because the person that you would seemingly plug into the starting lineup ahead of him would be Andrew Nemhard. But Nembhard isn't a shooter. And now all of a sudden you're just shrinking the floor. He isn't that type of shooter. Um, He can obviously hit open shots. But now you're shrinking the floor even more. And that impacts Matherin as a driver and just things like that. Halliburton as a driver as well. So... um You know, I I will be interested this offseason to see does Buddy Heald get extended because they have cap space. Mm -hmm. Um, How they utilize that in free agency, you know, Chad Buchanan made it very clear with us earlier today. They're still hunting for that 3 4. So even though, you know, Walker kind of fits some of that, if you look on the depth chart, that's still something that I think you need to go out and try to find. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, But yeah, Buddy, Buddy matters.
3: Did it surprise you? I won't focus as much as aggressively as I was with the Pacers earlier, which is that you had a conversation with Chad Buchanan, and I appreciated him being as honest as he was about everything. And I agreed as well that I don't really see a fit here for Trace Jackson Davis. I don't. Like, with with where he is with his game and what the Pacers have at the power forward slot, I don't get it. Now, you and I don't have to have this discussion that I've already had once today, which is that there's semantics here where... It seemed like to me on Twitter, Trace Jackson Davis was upset immediately after the Pacers passed him in the second round. Could have been a number of different things. Perhaps it was just he was mad that he wasn't taken earlier in the draft. Right. It it's feels weird. 1230
6: in the morning, he still doesn't know where he's going. Yeah,
3: it could have been frustration. It feels weird to me that if you were told by your agents or by scouts that you were going to be taken in 1720, that you would wait until after the 47th pick to make a tweet like that without it being personal. But either way... Were you surprised at his fall specifically? We talked about Cam Whitmore's fall, but I was rather taken aback and really felt bad for Trace that even though he ended up in, I think, a perfect spot at the end of the day, there was moments watching that draft, Kevin, as I was trying to stay awake, where I felt like maybe he should have stayed. Because this he was not told, oh, you're going to be a back end of the second rounder. Like That was not the evaluation on him. It was late first, perhaps early second. And for it to be that late in the night without his name called... There's an argument to be made that maybe he would have been better off staying yeah, and he got I, bad information.
6: You know, Oscar Sheboy stayed and went undrafted. So, I, I, sure. I you know, I, I, unless he all of a sudden became a 40% three-point shooter next year in Bloomington, I, I don't really know what staying would have done for him. And plus, I do think there's an element of, like, does he just want to move on to the next part of his life? Very I fair. mean, I, sure, there's a lot of perks to being an IU basketball player. There's also a lot of pressure. Yeah. And I... Think if you would have written out the 30 NBA teams that Trace Jackson Davis would fit the best with on paper, before last night he just went to the best one. Yeah, and I'm not saying that because he's playing with Steph Curry. I mean, I guess there's an element of that. But if you look at Golden State, and again, it's kind of multifaceted, Jimmy. Look at their roster. There's nobody over six nine on their team. Yeah, Jamichael Green's <laughs> 33 years old. And he's six nine. Like they are small. Mike Dunleavy said it last night. He's probably going to be a roster guy. Dudes that get drafted 57 overall are not automatically on an NBA roster. The Pacers, to your point earlier, they'll likely two-way contract both of their guys. I don't think Trace is going to be a two-way guy, and you know the Santa Clara Mad Ants or whatever their G League team is. Um, Santa Cruz Warriors. Thank you on that. God, the fact that you know that, <laughs> and I, you know, I'm afraid you're right on that too. Uh, and then the last point is, you know, similar Jalen Hood Shaferino with the Lakers, with how the Lakers and the Warriors are constructed their 8th, ninth, 10th guys cannot be making $8 million annually. They have to kind of be rookies, and that's what they have. So, you know, Trace, I think, walks into a situation where unlike, again, 95% of the league that would have taken him late in the second round, first off, they're telling him, you're not going to be on a two-way. We have no bigs, really, especially like young, you know, promising bigs, and there's also an opportunity for some playing time, and I— for both parties involved, if I were Rick Carlisle, I wouldn't have wanted drafted Trace and think to myself, oh my gosh, here we are at Game 13 and I'm literally answering questions about why <laughs> Trace Jackson Davis isn't playing. How many times did Rick have to answer questions last year about Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith's playing time? Sure. Imagine if that's now Trace in that mold. Uh, and again, I thought Chad was really candid with us about Trace and explained it very well. Kind of a mutual interest of, guys, look at it on paper. It just doesn't look good for Trace here in Indiana. And Chad said it to us earlier today. I mean, They've got four centers on this team right now. And Miles Turner and Daniel Tice and Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson. And we know how much age matters in the NBA. Isaiah Jackson's two years younger than Trace Jackson Davis. So I get the sentiment. I get that there's the feel-good Hollywood story. I understand all of that. I, I do think Trace can have a role with Golden State. But there was not one part of me last night that like looked at pick whatever, 26-47-55, and got that up in arms about it, because I just don't view the need there in Indiana, and I just think it puts a lot of pressure on the kid and on the organization to try and deliver.
3: Outside of the draft, now that they have everything finalized, of course there'll be adjustments on, on two-way contracts, but as you pivot now towards the start of free agency, and once the final cap numbers get underway, once they've paid their rookies and gotten all that squared away, is there a name at this point that really jumps out to you? And if not a name, where would you like to see, ideally assuming it's a veteran of some capacity, not just like a two- or three-year guy, but an experienced veteran, where would you like them to go from a position standpoint?
6: Yeah, I mean, in a reasonable value, I do think Dorian Finney-Smith is somewhat intriguing to me as, again, not making – an absurd amount of money has history with his coaching staff um, you know can kind of be a bit of a stretch for for you it, it is a veteran on a roster that has some but does, it is not littered with veterans across that unit Um but you know every time I do think about that I, I am kind of in the boat of and this is probably more of my mantra it's how I feel about Anthony Richardson it's how I felt about Benedict Matherin I'd just love to see Chas Walker get 30 minutes a night and, and I know that's a lot I mean it's it's a lot for any rookie but it's you know even a seventh or eighth overall pick uh, but he's a name that I keep on coming back to is like okay you know does that make sense you know if you got like a DeAndre hunter type from Atlanta does that all of a sudden kind of push Mather into that two guard role? You know, do you have enough shooting there? Does that push Buddy to the bench? Those are some things to keep an eye on. You know, he's not a uh, I don't think he's a starting four in this league, but if you look at the free agent list, first off, it's not a just unbelievable-looking list by any means when you look at it. But from a local angle, a guy that I thought had a really nice season for the Kings last year that is a free agent is Trey Lyles. And again, I do think that that kind of fits a little bit of a, a stretch-four type on that end of the floor. Um, but I'll be really interested to see how next week unfolds, because... Again, you know, Chad said we gotta balance out the roster a little bit, you know, too kind of center heavy, need that other wing. And if I were gonna nitpick the second round last night, Jimmy, I would've liked to have seen, instead of like what appears to be on paper, a couple two guards drafted in Mojave King and then um Isaiah Wong, I, I would have liked for one of those to kind of be that wing, you know, more that three four. Uh, I thought it was interesting when the board started to fall into the fifties. I forget which pick I looked at it. But at one point, let's say we were 20 picks into round two, I think only two forwards or centers had been drafted. And it was just kind of a reminder of Trace Jackson Davis. Again, Oscar Sheboy, undrafted. Drew Timmy, undrafted. Like, It's just how – it's wild to think that these insanely productive college guys, that's what happens to them. But, you know, unless you can stretch the floor a little bit or bring kind of a dominant athleticism trait, uh, oftentimes NBA
1: teams are going to bet on the potential. Uh, Roy Hibbert in our YouTube chat wants to know where you got the hat. He said he really likes it.
6: <laughs> God, for a minute there, Eddie, I thought you were serious. Uh, my Uncle Tad got this for me, uh, a little corduroy action. Jake is Jake is a big fan of this hat, and he looked it up what year it would have been. I thought it was a little bit more ABA, but Jake has thought it's a little bit more like 1980s-ish. So next time I see Uncle Tad, I will uh, I'll let Roy know. I really but, like it, too. Yeah, it's got good a good stuff. corduroy feel. Yeah, feels good. I figured, you know, draft night, bring it
3: out Friday morning, might, right? Might as well. Last thing on my end, KB. We've been drawing parallels the last two years to this rebuild process with the Colts and the Pacers and how it feels like they were on similar timelines. Both drafts are behind us now. Where, if at all, do those parallels change for you? I know it's different sports, but the city is still feeling like they're in this motion of, okay, we see blueprints, we see ideas in place, and we've always kind of thought the Colts were maybe a year behind that because Anthony Richardson is very much entering the, what does Tyrese Halliburton look like, portion of his career as his first time in a Colts uniform, first time in a uniform of any kind. Are those parallels done or where if all are they modified after the Pacers draft last night?
6: Yeah, I, that's a good question. I, I've made the analogy before of like, okay, if you compare both organizations to a 100 meter dash, you know, the Pacers are whatever, 40, 50 meters into it and the Colts are more of 20, 30 meters into it, maybe even less. But at least they're running the race, because I don't think they were running the proper race before. And by that, I mean the Pacers a couple years ago saying, all right, Sabonis and Turner, we're done. And we've tried to get this kind of somewhat mid to late 20 core that has some injury history, but we hope we can keep them healthy. And Turner Sabonis, this is the year. you yep. know. Carlisle's time to you know try. And finally they said, all right, enough's enough. We can't go. In that direction anymore. And finally, the Colts after years of thinking the band-aid at quarterback would fix things, they made a commitment to a young quarterback. So, you know, both franchises in their own way have created hope. Again, the Pacers more legit hope based off what we saw last season, and the Colts will try to do that this fall, but you know, me thinking back to like my you know, big-time fandom days, I think as a fan what well, you want more than anything is for the team, and you certainly have it right now with the Chiefs, probably more than anybody. What you want is this six to eight to ten year window where you feel like you can have perennial success. And annually you can make a playoff run. And whether that's win a division in football or get a top four seed in the NBA, that's what you want to feel. And I think very Crawling type moments for each franchise were still, you know, in the infant stages of even getting to walk or, or certainly getting to run. Both franchises have at least attempted to do that. Where I think I have made, and I think there's reason to make those arguments in the last handful of years, especially the Colts, neither franchise was setting up. They were hoping for this like one to two year run, but it was a hope, and you knew it was a short term and it wasn't going to last. Whereas for me, you get as many chances to throw darts at the dartboard. And if you can do that in kind of a six to eight to 10 year window, that
3: sets you up for the best chance to make a deep playoff run. We saw that growth from the Pacers this past season. Hope we see it from the Colts. Hope to see you in here again sometime. Always good to have you here in the studio, well, KB. I mean, seven to 10 every I understand. It's a grind. Morning. But it's been a nice surprise. Yeah. Appreciate Thanks, it. Jimmy. I'm not saying I've come
6: accustomed to it in one segment, but hey, it's nice to have you in here. Enjoyed it. Eddie, have a great weekend. Roy Hibbert, shout out in the YouTube
3: chat. <laughs> you can follow him on Twitter at KBowen1070. The TV voice of the Pacers, Kristen Airy, joins us next on The Fan.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
3: Jairus Walker coming to town for the Indiana Pacers. Their selection with the eighth pick in the 2023 NBA draft by way of Washington. See how confusing that is? Come on, NBA. I need, need a little bit more clarity. Won't get into that rant again, but we talked about it with Kevin. We talked about it to open the show. But if you're in the know, you follow the NBA closely, there's no confusion for you there. One man that's as in the know as anybody, particularly in this town, It's the TV voice of the Indiana Pacers, 17 years strong, Chris Denary of Valley Sports Indiana. Chris, how are we doing on a Friday?
5: I'm doing great, Jimmy. How are you? I'm uh, heading down for uh, the Jairus Walker uh, press conference. um, And then heading via – I'm going to Winston-Salem for the weekend for the National Sports Media Awards, but I'm going to have a stop in Cincinnati uh, to see the Reds and the Braves tonight. Jealous. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, uh, Brandon Gawden, uh, who was two after me as the voice of Butler – Uh, is the new voice of the Atlanta Braves so looking forward to seeing Brandon he's a a great person and a great broadcaster and uh, looking forward to seeing him tonight
3: I love BG as is Eddie give him our best it's been a minute since we've got a chance to catch up but give him our best when you see him tonight and then yeah enjoy that you heard Eddie there during your answer Uh, he's the biggest Reds fan that I know and very jealous that you're able to get to experience what is special brewing up there in Cincinnati
5: Oh, there's no question. Uh, I mean, I grew up in Southwest Ohio, so I've been a Reds fan my entire life. And you know, I'll be honest. When the season started, I I knew about five players on the roster, but uh, they've done a great job of bringing up the young guys. And you know, honestly, it reminds me of of what the Pacers are doing. I mean, they've got bright young talent, um, and, and so it's exciting to watch. And you know, I'm excited about this Pacers uh, group. Uh, adding Jerris Walker, uh, you know, add, you know, it's uh, adding a shooter. Uh, you know, with the the second pick of the the first round, uh, I, I'm looking forward to uh, what these guys can do next year with this uh, nice young
2: core of talent.
3: Chris, I know as the play-by-play voice, you're less critical of draft selections and more just waiting for that pick to be announced so you can further dive in and get an understanding of the type of players that they are. So with that mindset in mind, for the folks at home, what's a draft night like for you as you're taking it all in and learning about it in real time with the direction the Pacers wind up going?
5: Yeah, we uh, had all of our broadcasters uh, at the Midtown in Carmel last night. We had a great crowd. I mean, I think they had 800 to 1,000 season ticket holders and Pacers fans there. So Uh, you know we were out there with the people that support the team that are fans that are you know interested on a day-to-day basis so uh, you know I think I've done a good job of following it but there are clearly you know far more people the Tony East and the Scott Agnes and the Caitlin Cooper uh, you know they've been they've been on this draft from day one you know as a broadcaster whoever is on the team that's who I'm going to deal with and so you know, excited to you – know, the, the Pacers needed, uh, you know, more rebounding and better defense. Chad Buchanan talked about that on the morning show. Uh, they had another shooter in Ben Shepard out of Belmont. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm excited to see how they utilize these young, talented players with the other young, talented players uh, they have on the team.
3: You're right about the Midtown excitement. My, my nephew, Declan, was out there. I got some pictures uh, from the family and just the Papa shot, seeing Boomer, the Pacers atmosphere. It was, it was great. And obviously, I was jealous. I, I couldn't be out there. I was just watching at home with fam. But it's always good to see the way the Pacers are involved in the community and those type of events. You mentioned as well, though, from your standpoint, when you did learn that it is Jairus Walker and you're mapping out at least in your mind, what this could look like when they eventually take the floor here in a couple of months. Feels like a perfect fit. What are you most excited about, the freshman from Houston?
2: Yeah, I,
5: I mean, I, I think, honestly, in, in, the, in the front office and the coaching staff are the, are the first to admit it. The, the downside last year was the defense and the rebounding. The upside was on the offensive end. This team could score with any team in the league. Uh, they had the 10th best offense. Uh, but the defense was a challenge, and I, I think Jerris Walker uh, provides a big, strong body. Uh, you know, he's one of those guys. He's sort of like Benedict Mather, and he does not look like he's 19 years old. Uh, he looks like he's NBA ready, and I think it will add to the competition in that, in that front court. And, and so Rick Carlisle and his staff toyed with a lot of things late in the year when Turner wasn't playing, when Halliburton wasn't playing. You know, uh, Aaron Niesmith had, had moved a little bit to the four position. Uh, Jordan War was coming off the bench at the four, but but uh, you know, I, I look at Niesmith and he's he, he can play the four in a small ball four, but he's better suited to play uh, at a at a three position. I think so. I just think there there are a lot of opportunities. Uh, that'll be something to watch in summer league how, how these guys fit in. Uh, But more importantly, once training camp starts in late September, early October, you'll get a little better feel of of what the Pacers organization is trying to do. And we still have – this is just the first step of getting ready for 23-24. You have free agency. You have trades that you have the opportunity to make. So like Chad Buchanan said earlier today, I, I don't think this Pacers group is done with what they're trying to do. Uh, the next couple of weeks will will tell us what they're going to try to do.
3: TV voice of your Indiana Pacers for Valley Sports Indiana, Chris Denary. Nice enough to join us on the Fan Midday Show. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Denary. You mentioned Benedict Matherin in, in the early goings. He mentioned from his end-of-year press conference that there were clear areas where he needed to improve. He highlighted on the defensive end. He highlighted effort for every play. I love that honesty from players and the ability to, you know, be open and clear about where they need to improve as you evaluate and look back at what he was able to do last season as a rookie, how paramount is that development, particularly on the defensive end to reach the levels that Rick Carlisle expects this team to be on the defensive side of the ball this season?
5: Yeah. Yeah. Guys have to improve individually. um, and, And then that will improve as a team. If you can take care of your own business, Uh, defensively they always say guard your yard right and and each individual has to do a better job with with his man Um, that is where benedict needs to take another step i i think his perimeter shooting it it started out much better than it did early in the year but again it's a long season you're making that adjustment from college basketball to the nba but there's no question that this is a young man that's going to put in a lot of work Uh, You saw that during the regular season. You've seen that this summer. Uh, I mean, he's a guy that is going to do what he needs to do uh, to get better. And you don't oftentimes see rookies come into the NBA and average 16 points a game or better. And that's what he did last year. And I think, you know, he made the adjustment late in the season. He was a bench player. He was coming off the bench uh, but late in the year, they made a little bit of an adjustment. They moved Buddy Heel to the bench, and they started Benedict Matherin. And so I think that was a good adjustment for him to see what it's like to play against front-line starting players day in, day out. And that's something that, you know, he will find that, you know, is a little bit different than when you're coming off the bench.
3: Chris, you're around this team as much as anybody covering them on a nightly basis throughout the season. And we know with roster construction, how important it is to have veterans within that locker room that are able to help guide things and help show the ropes for rookies that are looking to get their footing sooner rather than later. When you look at this team, you look at the continued familiarity of what Rick Carlisle wants from Tyrese Halliburton, a second year from Benedict Matherin, and then, of course, true veterans like TJ McConnell, Buddy Heald, Miles Turner. Where are those biggest voices or where is the collective communication needed by these veterans to help if the Pacers really want to be out of the lottery next year?
5: Yeah, there's no question, and and, and clearly Tyrese Halliburton is, is the leader of this team. I mean, he plays with such joy. Um, I've called him the Pied Piper, right? I mean, you can't – you have to follow him because um, just the way he carries himself on and off the floor, he's a joy to be around. You know, one of the things the Pacers did last year coming out of training camp, uh, they had James Johnson with – the final position, because they felt that they needed a veteran voice to just help, you know, coalesce the locker room, and and, and it, it was a, you know, it was a terrific locker room. I mean, uh, if you talk to the athletic training staff and other people around the team, and, and many of those people were veterans, they felt it was one of the best locker rooms the Pacers have ever had, and so James played a role in that. The question is, will the Pacers want to do that again? Um, You know, free agents are James Johnson and George Hill, but you're going to be limited on roster spots right now. I think Chad Buchanan said today, right now they really only have one roster spot. So it'll be interesting to see as the summer goes on and into September, you know, what what they intend to do. Do they feel like they have enough veteran leadership with those names you mentioned, or do they feel like they need to have, you know, one of those type of, you know, 13-, 14-, 15-year veterans to help uh, help in the locker
3: room as well, Chris Denary, TV voice of the Indiana Pacers for Bally Sports Indiana, with us here on the Fan Midday Show, Chris. When you look at a player like Chris Duarte, who is still very much not only a part of this team but but fighting for positioning on this roster, where do you need to see, regardless of if it's here or somewhere else? Where where what have you seen from Chris Duarte to this point in time in his career? I know he struggled with injuries as well, but Where do you need to see his development if he wants to be a valuable piece or a valuable contributor to the Pacers moving forward with where this rebuild is?
5: Well, I think you said it. I I think he's got to stay healthy. Uh, Each of his first two years he's been injured. He missed significant time last year, and he missed significant time at a time when, when the Pacers were sort of finding who they were. And that's when Andrew Nemhard stepped in and, and played a great role. And Neesmith started to play better. And, of course, Matherin was getting time. And so when Duarte came back, uh, there was a little bit of a limited role for him. I, I think he's a tremendous shooter. He showed that during his rookie year. I think he lost a little confidence last year. Um, but but I think overall, I, I think the biggest issue uh, for Chris Dorte is he's got to stay healthy. Um, They oftentimes say, you know, the best thing you can be is available. And if you're not available, that really hurts a team. So um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how they utilize him. Uh, I guess you could say there's a little bit of a log jam at the wing position. But I think front offices and coaching staffs like that because it creates a competition within your team, and that makes your team better.
3: You mentioned free agency on the horizon. Where do you feel that there's still either a glaring need or if you were to look at a position group where, wow, if the right veteran was here, that would really make a lot of sense, where do you expect them to attack the most heavily with the cap space that they have when free agency starts next week?
5: Yeah, I still think they'd like to, uh, you know, have more wing uh, competition, if you will, 3 and D, you know, somebody that can shoot the three, somebody that can defend out on the perimeter. Um, You know, it's interesting, and I don't know all, the semantics of the new CBA, but uh, I, I think I did hear you when the season starts by day one, you have to spend 90% of, of the, the salary cap. And so that's much different than it's been in the past. Last year, the Pacers were able to hold on to money and that worked out very well because of what they were able to do to extend miles Turner. So they do have significant uh, money in free agency uh, as Kevin Pritchard has said, that still gives them optionality, and so it'll be a little bit different than what we've seen in the past. They will have to spend that money uh, before the start of the regular season, um, and, and, and we'll just have to see what they do. But I do think they probably have their eyes focused on you know a veteran at the wing position if you can get somebody for the right price.
3: He's Chris Denary, TV voice of the Indiana Pacers. Chris, I appreciate you making time for us. Know, like you mentioned, you're about to get out there for the presser. Uh, safe travels to Cincinnati. Safe travels to Winston-Salem. Have a wonderful weekend, and we look forward to catching up as the offseason continues to roll along.
5: All right. Thanks, Jimmy. Always good to talk to you.
3: Right back at you. That's Chris Denary. You can follow him on Twitter, at TV voice of your Indiana Pacers with Bally Sports Indiana. Of course, we'll have reactions to some of those comments and, and first quotes as official Pacers when they have this introductory press conference a little bit later today. We'll react to that with Alex Golden the bottom of the 2 o'clock hour. Dan Purcell, NBA front office executive, will take us through the Pacers draft. The draft as a whole, he was like you a former front office executive that was getting a little bit tired as that draft was unwinding from a length standpoint. And then we'll, of course, dive into free agency with him, get a pathway and a feel for how the Pacers can address those remaining needs. When we come back, have some jersey announcements. We'll look at that and step further into the Pacers draft when we come back on 93.5107 by the fan.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
3: Ready for the Rolling EDM concert? Roll right along concert? on a Friday on the Fan Midday Show from the drivehebor.com studios. You ready for the EDM concert? Yes, I am. Okay. I'm disappointed that the podcast audience won't get that like a g6 if you want to search that on itunes that's only Spotify, the start wherever you get your music It'll only get you there, though. the start oh, i was only the start of the day we're, we're having oh, yeah. we're having a party the rest i
1: love it oh yeah we got all the draft picks rolling in here allegedly with uh gmv this afternoon in studio
3: dj Should eddie we? garrison behind yep. the ones and twos is that yeah. throughout or are you just gonna hop in the side studio uh, it's gonna be a banger you know, after banger all night the
1: only way to find out is by tuning into the fan the rest of the evening
3: that's a smart strategy to have as a part of your day, any day, but in particular today. Listening
1: to my beats,
3: yes, indeed.
1: You know my—I don't know how they mix it up. Is that what they say as a DJ?
3: <laughs>
1: well, my mixtape.
3: Prior to that, I was going to say you could just give JMV a call and perhaps he'll let you spin a couple behind the JMV takeover on our sister station.
1: I can't let him do that. I can't. I can't do that. That's his thing. I don't want to. I don't want to ruin it.
3: That's fair. But that would also, if you're scared to ruin it, that would also put your confidence level of a DJ career at a proper level, I would say. (laughs) If you you don't want to get behind the JMV takeover, then I don't know where you're going to get your start. Maybe it's today. Who knows? That's Eddie Garrison. (laughs) It's Eddie Garrison. I'm Jimmy Cook. We got jersey information. As is custom with any draft announcement, first rounders have their jerseys for the Pacers. Garris Walker, numero uno, number one for Mr. Walker. Out of Houston, Ben Shepard from Belmont, 26. I'll give credit where credit is due because it's a great either joke or dad joke. One of our favorites, Tony East, on Twitter at Tony R East. The total sum of Benedict Matherin, Tyrese Halliburton, and Juris Walker's jersey numbers. One. Because double zero and zero. It's the type of type of fun content you're gonna have around. So do we Twitter. call
1: them 001?
3: I think you can. Much like I advised. One of our rotating cavalcade of guests, you could go with nice word. a trademark. I stole it from Rake. I can't lie. Got to give credit where credit is due. Do you even know what it means? He is a wordsmith. For you, when you look at the trademarks, though, that James Boyd gave over, yes, but when you look at the trademarks that James Boyd gave over of... The failed Wemby to Indie hashtag. You can go ahead and get your trademarks now for
1: 001 if that's really what you're. I've got a couple brewing. You know, hey. we got the Walker, Walker, Walker. Get get something going with uh, Burger King and then I, I gave that
3: to somebody Dr. yesterday Pepper. and credited you and they laughed and they said that I should have been more. Uh, I should have gotten a better chuckle than I did when you dropped that on a show. I know. So I, I
1: was I was I was upset. I thought I'd be <laughs> I thought I'd get a chuckle, but then again, it may give some people some PTSD from that commercial playing all the time.
3: Yeah, it's died down a little bit. Don't worry. I'm sure it'll be back for football season. It's too popular. But there you go. You got two jersey number announcements for the Indiana Pacers. And of course, on the Indiana Hoosiers side of things, great landing spots in general for Jan hood Shafino going to LA. And then, of course, Trace Jackson Davis headed to Golden State. Both are great fits. Both are intriguing aspects. We're not going to waste Pacers time on the Lakers trajectory, but Even if you want to view that as a future post-LeBron type of pick, it's a good a spot as any for Jalen Huchifino and what he wants to do at the next level to be within that system out there in L.A. Like I mentioned, still to come, we've got more angles to look at from the Pacers perspective, including free agency quickly approaching. Front office executive, former front office executive Dan Purcell, leader of the sports business classroom out in Las Vegas, one of the many leaders out there. He's going to join us next. We'll get his takeaways from how the draft unfolded. That free fall of Cam Whitmore. Very strange. What's that like within a war room when medicals come out or when you're having a player that goes in limbo until they're finally selected? Of course, where the Pacers went and then the cap space that they're going to have at their disposal when free agency arrives next week. Plus, Alex Golden of Setting the Pace He's going to join us at the bottom of the 2 o'clock hour. We'll get his perspectives from last night's NBA draft. Any regrets? Any picks that he would have liked made otherwise? Were we right or wrong with thinking there'd be more trades? And what ultimately does the likes of Ben Shepard and Jarvis Walker do for a team that ideally speaking would like to be out of the lottery next year? But we'll look first from the national perspective with Dan Purcell, who joins us next on the Fan Midday Show.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you. Welcome
3: back to the Fan Midday Show.
0: (laughs) Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison,
3: behind the ones and twos. Man, the podcast audience won't be able to enjoy that at all. And that's probably going to be the theme of today is me announcing that to the public because Eddie Garrison, again, is moonlighting as a DJ today for the rest of the show. Dindo not know Gangnam Style was going to be on the set list and get that ahead of time. I've suddenly gone back 11 years. So that's, that's where we're at right now. Let's go back to present day for a second. One of our favorites. He's a regular of the fan midday show. He's Dan Purcell, former front office executive with New Orleans Pelicans, currently one of the leaders and director of scouting over at the Sports Business Classroom, had a live stream last night on YouTube. Dan, at least you had friends, colleagues, my, my, my good friend and friend of the show, Bo Estes, was out there with you as well of NBA TV, so you had people to carry you through that, but like you mentioned to me on Twitter, did it just feel like a longer first round than years past?
4: Man, <laughs> it really did drag on a little bit, didn't it? You know it's it I didn't think it was that it was I think the, the biggest thing is it- wasn't a ton of depth when it came to eighteen plus, so I think from the time that the first pick to about the twelfth pick it took forever. it felt like which it usually does, you know you gotta fill in media time and whatnot, but it did seem like it drug along a little bit.
3: I want to go straight into first the Pacers selection. Then, of course, we'll bounce around a ton throughout this conversation. But the Pacers have the seventh pick. And our, my producer, Eddie Garrison, had a wager that Jarris Walker was going to be taken with the seventh pick. So he's especially salty today because not only did he get the selection right for the team, but with semantics of the NBA, that trade happens, his bet loses. And you know we, we pour one out for Eddie in that regard. But aside from the confusion that is still present, that's where I want to start. You might not know the answer to this, but with the NFL, they can announce trades as they happen. There's no confusion on the hat that's being worn by the player. There's no confusion on the Washington Wizards select Jairus Walker. Well, no, they didn't. They traded him to Indiana. Is that just a unique rule within the NBA CBA, or is it just a a chosen path that they've gone down? Because for me, it would make a lot more sense for the folks at home and everybody else involved if it was more streamlined like the NFL does it, do you, do you know why that is?
4: Yeah, it's twofold, right? Sometimes when you make a trade like that, you are waiting for the new fiscal year, which is obviously when free agency starts, for that trade to actually take its completion. So you agree in principle, and then ultimately you'll trade the player at a later date, even though the player knows that he's coming to the team and he's doing, you know, he's going to be a part of the program. And then on the flip side of that, if you're just dealing with picks, sometimes the league. You know, you're, The league has to approve the trade instantaneously, and sometimes they can't do that, especially when it's back-to-back like that, and it takes the league a little bit of time to process, make sure all the CBA legalities are there and whatnot for it to be a legal process.
3: So it's on the legal side, whereas with the NFL, it's a little bit more loose with where the fiscal yeah. year is and where their rules are, because you can have that same thing happen. And it's we have a trade to announce, and the ESPN graphic automatically changes. And the Roger Goodell goes out there and makes the announcement before he even announces who the pick is. He announces the trade right then and there. It's a legal thing on the NBA side.
4: Yeah, it's more of just because sometimes you might might want to make the trade and complete it after the new you know after the the next year CBA comes in. And if that's the case, you'd have to wait until you can clear everything um, with the league in terms of are you adding players to that. Uh, is this something that is going to be you know used forward into another trade is it a three-way trade so there's just a lot of different um there's a lot of different variances that come with it so it's a, it makes it, a, it it stinks that you know we can't do it like the NFL but just for now um you know it's going to have to be that way
3: is it fixable or is it something that because of the way their f- fiscal calendar works and because of the fact they have free agency after the draft and when the new league year opens that Unless they change the way free agency in the calendar year works for them, it's going to be this way forever.
4: It's going to be this way forever. Okay. It's just the way that it's sure. just the way that the league league works. And it, you know, it, aesthetically, it's not pleasing, but functionally, it makes a lot of sense.
3: Yeah, no, like I said, I, I totally get from from your perspective, especially as a former front office executive. But for those of us that are in the media that are covering this all the time we're used to it it makes a lot of sense but again for the common fan you have all this confusion and i give credit to espn a little bit they did try their best to put the proposed trade graphics up there halfway through the draft granted it wasn't big enough to really get full-scale attention but that's good to have that kind of clarity that it makes a lot of sense i figured it was something legal and i figured you might be able to answer that so
4: yeah it's, it's completely based upon you know a current cba and then obviously what teams want to do with that pick. So if, you, if you'll if you notice that some teams won't have their press conference the day after, or if they do, they may not have a guy that they traded for or a guy they traded out because of trying to get the trade completed.
3: I know you've been as close on this as anybody with the NBA draft and looking at these big boards and diving into it like we all have. Dan Purcell, nice enough to join us, former NBA front office executive in a part of the sports business classroom out in Las Vegas Pacers go Jairus Walker. That was somebody that was a betting favorite to be the selection there for Indiana. That was somebody that makes a lot of sense from a fit standpoint. When you look at the freshman from Houston and where his game is at now, where it could potentially improve and what it means for a Pacers team that again, hopes that this is their last time in the lottery for a minute, they want to be a playoff team next year. How does he make his mark on that equation?
4: Well, first just going back to Indiana on that, you know, you know, it's been known, I think, I think it's been the worst-kept secret in this draft that they, if they were sitting at seven, Jairus Walker was going to be their pick. And i got to give kudos to the front office. They were able to leverage Washington to get two additional assets. Those, These microtransactions like that, that, oh, I just bumped up a spot, literally could be for something down the road that is make or break for a deal. And, you know, these little, those little things are a sign of a good front office, in my opinion. And then with, with Walker as a player, it's really interesting. You know, he, he's a, one of the, he was one of the best freshmen in, in the country in multiple categories, defensively, offensively. He has a lot of room to grow. I, I think he is a guy who can guard four positions. I think he can shoot the three extremely well, especially over time. As soon as he makes this his main thing, rather than having to go to class as well, I think you're going to see a big growth spurt with him. It's going to take him probably a year to... You know, adjust to the NBA lifestyle, which is a lot on the road. It's a lot of going. Um, It's working out every day at 8 a.m. or 8:30 a.m. because he's going to be a rookie in the early workout slots. And you know, it's just going to be interesting to see how how long it takes him to be the player that I think he'll be, and I think Indiana thinks he'll be. Um, But I, I love the pick. He's one of my favorite players in this draft. I think he has really good upside. He's a good kid too. I think Indiana like hit a home run with this one.
3: When you look at where the Pacers are right now, and we get to Ben Shepard in a second, or I guess we can throw him in here as he's a first-round selection and you would think that he's going to be in contention in his development for a meaningful role on this team. When you throw Shepard in there, when you look at Jairus Walker now, you look at a potential starting five involving Benedict Matherin, Buddy Heald, Tyrese Halliburton, Jairus Walker, Miles Turner... Where do you view the Pacers from the national perspective of how they've built things? And an Eastern conference that you and I emphasize a number of times over the course of the postseason appears it has vulnerability for immediate turnarounds, maybe not to the very top of the conference, but to make some noise if you're on the right track of a rebuild like the Pacers think they are.
4: Yeah, I think it's, a, They maybe I'm not as high as, as you as it, are they a playoff team next year? I think, I think a play in would be a good step for them. You know, and it's not because of lack of talent, it's because lack of development. These guys gotta play together. You know, and you think about Denver even, they had to go through rough patches to get where they are now. It wasn't just like all of a sudden Jokic is good yeah. and you know, Jamal Murray's good and you know, but Jamal Murray went through a ton of, you know, injuries and setbacks and Jokic had to go through body transformation and fail in the playoffs and to me the progression I, I think with this team it's not this year, although I think, I think they're going to be a good team. They could be the seventh seed, I think, at best. I would like to see them get to the play-in this year, and then that next year is the leap year, because you're going to have Jairus Walker on year two. Halliburton's Burton's going to be coming up on his extension, so he's going to be into that second contract. Obviously, um, you have Matherin; He's going to be, still be on his rookie scale, but he'll be year three in. So I think, I think really guys turn historically at about that two-and-a-half to three years um, And I think that's when Indiana's going to start really making a turn. And I think you'll start seeing them go after more veterans. Uh, Maybe not this year, but it's most likely next offseason. They may start to be a player in the secondary free agent market.
3: I want to play out a hypothetical there because I don't necessarily disagree with you that perhaps I'm a little too high on the Pacers and thinking that 4-6 to should be the ultimate goal next year. I I truly believe that they want to see that type of leap like any front office would. They don't want just a play-in berth. They want an actual ticket to the postseason with the hard work they'll put in over the grind of 82 games. But let's say that is the case, where they are closer to a play-in team. I want you to put on the role as being a member of the Pacers front office. Buddy Heald's in a contract year. He's always going to be linked to trade rumors because of how valuable he is as a shooter. If you're looking at the Pacers and they are in the conversation of let's say eight to 10, they're not that seven spot, but they're eight to 10 on that window by the trade deadline. Is that the time to cut bait on buddy Hield? Or when you look at what he still can bring to a team like the Pacers that are young and he's obviously an experienced veteran, is he someone you would want to try to retain long-term?
4: I think, I, I think there's going to be a point where it's going to be, t- and th- this is just me forecasting. Right. On. Correct. This is no information on the inside on this one, but you know, for me, I think at some point you're going to have to move on from him. Um, And it's not because lack of ability or anything like that. It's just from a more so team-building standpoint. He's probably going to cost you too much because what's going to happen is you're going to have to pay Matherin at some point, right, on that second contract. And if Buddy Heald wants three, four, probably wants four years, it's going to be really hard to start overlapping that with the second apron and the first apron on the tax. And I know Indiana doesn't want to be a tax team. So you're looking at it as uh, they probably have to move on and get what they can for it. And you know, if Buddy's playing well, which contract years most guys do play pretty well, you're going to be able to get a first, to one to two first round picks, most likely, or maybe a player and a pick off of it. And to me, you have to get something for it. So his name will be linked with the Lakers, the Clippers, the uh, the Heat. His name will be linked with them all year round. Um, and it's obviously, you know, they don't have the assets at this moment really to give something of value back to Indiana. But it'll be interesting to see how it plays out.
3: Dan Purcell with us, former front office executive at the NBA, leader of the sports business classroom, along with a number of different heads that they have there at that event that's year-round, but also takes place primarily at Las Vegas Summer League, coming up here in a couple of weeks. Dan, you mentioned the Denver Nuggets, and that's an example that we've pointed to over the last couple of weeks for hope for the Pacers if you're willing to practice the level of patience that the Nuggets were. You highlighted what we had been talking about, that there were injuries, there were missteps, there was need to be able to see Michael Porter Jr. initially out of the draft having back concerns, be able to put all that aside and be able to be a valuable player. The acquisition of Eric Gordon, Bruce Brown, Aaron Gordon rather, Bruce Brown coming on the way that he did and now is going to get a big payday For small markets like the Denver Nuggets, like the Indiana Pacers, not the fans, but the front office, how challenging is it in today's win-now society? At least it feels amplified, right? Everybody's always been trying to win. But in this win-now-we-need-it-right-now mentality, how hard is it to practice the type of patience that the Nuggets did with that core?
4: It's hard because it's a, first off, the win-now league, as it's always been. But with the new rules coming in and the way that the new economy of the uh nba is going to be in terms of the collective bargaining agreement you're seeing a lot of teams adjusting with their second round picks to be older guys guys who have already been seasoned been playing and that's something that you know we we can have a whole conversation on the transfer portal and guys playing five years in college and all that we can have that you know debate on another day but what's the result of that literally is that these teams have guys now that they're drafting and they're five-year seniors You know, or they're or they went to school for four years, or you know they're they're there for a really long time, and that extra two-way slot is really the key, in my opinion, to the small market teams being able to make it. You have to hit if you're going to be successful. If you look at all, if you look at Denver, if you look even look at Golden State, you have guys that played in the G League that become role players on your team, and you have to have to create that, and you have to you know cultivate that, and I think that's big for Indiana this year. Is they got to find the two-way guy, or you know a G-leaguer that can impact them? Not maybe not this year, but maybe get his you know get his you know beak wet a little bit this year. But it's the next year that he can step in and get a role.
3: One of the biggest storylines last night was the free fall of Villanova's Cam Whitmore, projected as high as anywhere from a five to ten range at times from different mock drafts and maybe at his worst case it'd be 13 to 15 the free fall happened last night i know you still have sources within the league but perhaps you didn't get clarity on this like i was still searching for into the wee hours of the night there were reports that maybe there were medical concerns with him earlier in the week there had been well his workouts weren't flashy enough or or looked gave a taste in the mouth of some teams that perhaps they didn't want to give the draft expense to him where he was projected. And I know those projections are just there. Like you throw them out once we get into the draft, but did his free fall surprise you? And ultimately when he ends up being selected, where was the value at Cam Whitmore at that point? Because uh Pacer GM, Chad Cannon was on our morning show, Kevin and today. And he mentioned they had tried to go get Cam Whitmore, but the price was just too high. Even at that 17 to 20 range they were willing to spend.
4: Yeah, so uh, Jimmy should have watched, should have watched our uh, live cast. I went the whole deep <laughs> deep dive here on him. Um so Cam Whitmore, I, I have uh, I, I did a really before the draft, I was really um deep into who he is and what he's been doing and how things are coming out. And he does have he does have an existing knee injury. They're worried that it's um that it that it could be structural and it's going to take him some time. You know, they worry that maybe it's a Brandon Roy situation. That's kind of the the essence of it just to give people a name that goes with some sort of knee injury like that and of course Brandon Roy had a really good career and then obviously he no longer had you know cartilage between his his, in his knee so you know he was just bone on bone trying to play NBA basketball it just doesn't work and then also there was some there was some character issues as well you know they were saying that he could be a bit prickly and you know there were some things that happened at workouts that some of the really turned some of the teams off and the, the ability is there. I don't think anybody um, is questioning the ability. But at the end of the day, Houston, i, I got to give kudos to Houston. They, he was Cam Whitmore was working out in Houston the entire time. Uh, the Rockets were in complete uh, controlled situation in terms of what they knew and what they knew of the kid. And I, w- I felt bad for him because most mocks had him at four. You know, he was sitting there at four. And he's the one guy who drops the 20 because, you know, he lost 20, I think the number was 26 or $28 million off the top of my head in literally two hours. And uh, it's a lot of money for a young guy. And I, I said on our broadcast last night that these are the types of situations that you really want to see the kid's character pop out. And you really want to see how does he react to this? Does he attack his rehab? Does he attack the things that were knocks on him and, you know, I am excited to see what happens for him. If if he fails, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but that's part of the risk when you're uh, when you get to the NBA, is that you may fail.
3: Dan Purcell, the sports business classroom, former NBA front office executive with us here on the fan. We mentioned Jarrus Walker already, Ben Shepard, Mojave King, Isaiah Wong. You obviously were reacting to all the picks real time last night on the sports business classroom live draft show. For those that weren't able to catch it, what was your observations by those picks? Again, i that would be myself included. I, I did poke in for a second, but it was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was a lot going on last night from a local standpoint. But uh, Ben Shepard, Mavi King, Isaiah Wong, obviously varying roles or varying timelines for those three players. What were your takeaways from the other three selections the Pacers made last night?
4: Um, ben Shepard is... He, the upside is, is there if they can unlock it. He'll be a good role player, in my opinion. Um, they kind of reached a little bit, but I think it was more so that it was a fit more than it was a need. And I think if you're going to take a shot on a guy, you should take a shot on a guy who has a proven track record, right? So it's an educated guess that he's going to be able to be a rotation guy one day. And as for the, the two-second rounders, uh, the kid from the ignite. Is it Mojave? Mm-hmm. Make sure I butcher names. Jimmy, mean, as you know, so <laughs> <laughs> I am not the uh, the pronunciation king, but I actually like Mojave. I think I believe he's going on a two-way. From what I was reading, and you can correct me if I'm yeah. wrong, but that's the type of guy that I'm I'm talking about. He has professional experience with the Ignite, and he's able. He understands how it works, and then you throw him into a two-way, and he understands the process. So you might get become a faster grower in terms of your skills, your playing time, your role, because guys like that, they could turn it around faster, say a half season, a season faster than maybe a kid who has not played professionally.
3: For the selection of Isaiah Wong, kind of a similar thing, right, where even though it's a different position group, when you look at that type of late second round, or perhaps that's somebody that's either splitting time within a two-way deal or splitting time within the G League, as well as the Pacers, I know that he's most notoriety arrived from Miami's incredible run last year to the final four. Where were your observations for Isaiah Wong that late in the draft? I think
4: it's appropriate for him. I mean, when you get down into the trenches there in those, in those picks, it's kind of, what do you value more as an organization? Do you, do you value athleticism and length? Do you value skills? Do you, inval- do you value uh, physical attributes or maybe it's high IQ? Um, so all of those things are a part of going into that. And what Indiana thought, obviously, was that that the length was important, that they, they thought that if he's going to be successful, that's going to be a main component of what he does, and then if he can get in their developmental system, that he may be able to be a player.
3: I want to look at another local angle, but this time with the Indiana Hoosiers. They have two players taken in this draft. Let's start first with Trace Jackson-Davis. Arguably the best fit in terms of what his game presents right now. The shooting is going to be the question mark that continues to follow him. I've argued yeah. that I think that he does have the capability in his game, not necessarily a high level that is required to be an everyday starter, but enough so when accompanied with his passing and his ability down low and to move without the ball that I think in the right system he could work really well. And I'm sure, I haven't talked to Bo directly, but I would think from Bo's perspective, when he's seeing some of those highlight passes from Trace, and he thinks about how Steve Kerr likes to play, he's lighting up for what that second unit could look like. Where do you feel about the fit for Trace Jackson Davis in Golden State?
4: I I mean, if there's a better place for a young guy to go, I don't know. That's that's one of the top three places to go if you're a young guy, right? And I think... Just to be honest with you, I can't tell you that I'm a huge fan of his game translating to the NBA. Not saying he's not a good player, not saying he's not that, but personally, you know, just for me, I think there's just some deficiencies and if he's like you kind of you kind of were the scout on that one, you know, the shooting is a big thing yep. and you have to be able to hit open threes. you have to. And there's a lot of times with him that you wonder where it's at. You know what I mean? You're you wonder where that shot making ability is at because for him to be successful, if you look historically, those types of guys have to be able to knock down open three-pointers. Have to.
3: Other Indiana product in Jalen hood Shafino ends up in Los Angeles. When yep. you look at where their timeline is at, I know it surprised a lot of people that they made that selection, but I also look at guards that the Lakers have able to utilize as first-rounders or just very young players and turn them into valuable contributors – It addresses a need for certain, and Jalen Huchifino, even though the highs are incredible and the lows are maddeningly frustrating, where's (laughs) that landing spot in La La Land for him with what would be asked of him with whatever the Lakers end up doing with their starting point guard slot, whether it's D'Angelo Russell, whether they actually go to acquire a veteran, what is the runway like for Jalen Huchifino? (laughs)
4: I think well. First off, as a player, I really like him as a player. I think his you can when you have a guy who's physically has a really good base to him, you can start there and build from the ground up. You know what I mean? It's like it's like a really good place to start. And I think anybody that watches him watches he plays with force, right? And so now you have a guy who's strong, plays with force, can get downhill on people. I think for me, I actually like the pick by the Lakers. I think it's a great value pick for them. I actually had him going a little bit higher, but I think that. I, I'm not sure that they're going to re-sign D'Angelo Russell, to be honest. I, I think that ship has kind of sailed. So there may be some minutes in there for him to develop, but I would I would look for him to more take a back seat for the first half of the year. I don't know that the Lakers are interested in. Unfortunately for him, giving him meaningful minutes to develop in the first you know six months of the or I'm sorry the first 60 games of the year. Right. So we'll see how it goes and whatnot, but the Lakers, I mean, they're in win now mode all the time and they have LeBron, they have A D, they have, you know, they have this team that they're gonna be adding to in free agency. And then obviously maybe they'll they'll pull that Buddy Heel trade on top. But if they if they are to pull Buddy Heel away, then that obviously takes a lot of minutes away from them.
3: Dan Purcell with us, former NBA front office executive and a member of the sports business classroom here on the fan. There was a trade a couple days ago the Pacers made where they got the ever ominous cash considerations in a deal they're able to obtain roughly 4.3 nearly 4.4 million dollars in a deal with the lakers from the front office standpoint i want clarity for our listeners and and make sure i understand it as well let's say the pages have 25 million dollars in cap space for that trade is made there were no players that were exchanged in that trade it was picks and cash that doesn't automatically make the Pacers have $29 million in cap space now, correct?
4: No, that does not mean that.
3: No. Okay, so, so, so what, what can they do with that money? Like what is utilized for that money in a, in a hypothetical adding $4.3 million in a trade?
4: Uh, it's, you pretty much save it in the piggy bank for later. Uh, it's not to the cap, per se. It's just, it's just cash exchange between two teams. You're, you're allowed to take X amount of cash in between teams in trade. Uh, for the year. That's caps as well. But, you know, I, if, as small market teams do, i I worked with a small market team. And sometimes, you know, when the value of the picks is really not that different, but someone's willing to pay you a lot for that. Sometimes you have to take that money. Sometimes that goes, goes to the ownership. Maybe that goes to the business operation. Like there's money that gets moved around off of that. So it's not like if we're just looking at it in a vacuum Yes, it's money that goes to the team, and the picks were swapped. But there's internal – I'm sure there's internal ways that money can be used. Uh, maybe it's a player down later down the line, you know, things like that. Maybe it's a buyout candidate. Maybe they signed somebody in Europe, and they, they need to use some of that money for buyout. So there's there's different ways that those things happen. But I thought – I mean, it was, it was smart. I don't know that the difference between those two picks is – like for me, I would I would have done the same thing, just to be honest.
3: Yeah. So it really is, though, like the joke that we were making yesterday with Moneyball, where I know the Pacers aren't quite that disparaging as the athletics were back in the 2000s, but it literally couldn't be, handled all my players to pay for soda for three years. Like, it it, it could be used for that? Yeah, technically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the Pacers... No, I don't either. I don't ballpark,
4: either. But, but uh, yeah, I guess you could say it would be used for that,
3: yeah. <laughs> Dan Purcell with us here on The Fan. Dan, last thing before we let you go, when you look at the ramifications from this draft and we'll keep it both Pacers and you can sprinkle the national angle as well. What is next with a team like the Pacers with about 25 million or so that number will come a little bit down once they sign their rookies. But if they're looking for a veteran, if they're looking for another shooter or another wing, what is available for them with this free agent class that would be appealing not just from what the Pacers could spend, but also for a player that would be the right fit to come to Indiana
4: maybe not a name, but a fit, you know, with, with this much money. I mean, the thing is they may want to make a splash next season, may not be this season. And remember they do have to start paying people. So, (laughs) you know, you, you have money this year. I would say if it's me as as more of a role rather than a name, I'm looking for wings that are athletic, that we can play, that we can switch with maybe a mentor type person. um, Somebody that's been in the league a little while and can, you know, kind of, be a positive impact along playing you know along with playing with younger guys obviously i don't think getting a vet who's probably not going to touch the floor is a good thing you just don't have you Haslam's growing on trees right <laughs> guys who aren't going to be malcontent about not playing so for me i want to get a guy who can play i want i would prefer a wing uh maybe a backup point guard just to you know take the maybe have Halberton play off the ball a little bit but um I think more of it is instead of the name because a lot of stuff is going to happen here in the next you know week week and a half. I don't know that they have to be day one signing signing guys to their team. Now if it's a vet and he's he has multiple, you know, multiple offers and by the way I, Jimmy, I'm not saying that anybody ever negotiates before the uh deadline. And of course not. You know there are that. rules.
2: There,
3: there, there are more. rules that we follow, yeah. Dan. Of course not. There's never been I would I I can't remember
4: a time that and there was ever a rule breaking of yeah. that. No. and uh, I think it's more of a, a more of a can this guy fit the type of people that we need I don't know that the names are there yet because I think there are going to be some more moves right that are going to be made here so it'll be interesting to see
3: Dan it's great to catch up always appreciate your insight I know you'll be heavily involved as a director of scouting with sports business classroom with what's going to happen with free agency but also the great event out there in summer league uh, anything else you want to plug in that regard with you guys are just about two weeks, three weeks away, if that, uh, from the start of summer league and the revamp of sports business classroom.
4: Yeah, we are we are officially sold out. So it is um, it, it's going to be a fun event. Obviously, we we have sixty two majors in uh, or sixty two students in my major, which is scouting, video, and analytics. So you know, I always tip my cap to those guys because we always have the highest number. And I was you know having fun with uh, Bo yesterday on that because he does broadcasting <laughs> and. uh but, it's, it's a, you know, it's just a great program. The immersive experience is just unlike any other. The access to MBA personnel is unlike any other. And, you know, it doesn't guarantee you anything, but it gets your foot in the door.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
4: And there's no other program out there that does
3: that. We'll enjoy Las Vegas. Can't wait to continue our conversations as always. And yeah, safe travels to you as you're moving about there on the West Coast. Thanks, Jimmy. It's Dan Purcell. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at Dan p underscore NBA, a former front office executive and current director of scouting over there at the sports business classroom. Good clarity with that. So again, it's not money that goes towards the cap, but it is money that could be utilized in a number of different ways for the Pacers with that 4.4 million that the Lakers used to buy their way back into the second round. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll go more on the Pacers beat. Alex Golden is setting the pace. We'll give his rapid reaction for what happened last night with the Pacers and where they still need to address things this offseason. That's when we return on the Phantom Midday Show. Jarris Walker, Ben Shepard, finish up introductory press conference with the Indiana Pacers just a little bit ago. And what the Pacers hope is their final one of these big Epic introdu- introductory press conferences with high lottery picks. They have their core established right now. At least they hope they do. And Benedict Matherin, Tyrese Halliburton, Jarrus Walker, Andrew Nemhart. That's again, just the last couple of draft picks. Of course, you still include Miles Turner in there as well. On this as well as anybody, Alex Golden of Setting the Page. You can follow him on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. Make it some time with us. Here on the Fan Midday Show, Alex, take us through first the draft night experience for you, having seen the same thing that all of us did with the trade to acquire some assets down the line that we probably will forget about by tomorrow, but could be useful, and then they ultimately end up with Jairus Walker, the guy they wanted anyway. Initial reaction there, and and hope you're having a good Friday as always.
7: Oh yeah, no, thanks for having me on. Um, Yeah, last night was a little bit of a whirlwind, uh, sitting there watching the The draft on ESPN and seeing Bilal Kulabali's name pop up at pick seven was a bit of a shocker. Uh, we were doing a live draft podcast and I was stunned. I could not believe that that was the pick. And then we realized just shortly after that it was traded, which made a lot of sense. And I, I think the Pacers did a really smart thing by being able to acquire two future second round picks. We saw how valuable those second round picks were. Uh, this last year at the trade deadline we saw five first round or second round picks excuse me uh, was able to help maneuver it battle from Phoenix to Milwaukee so I think that the Pacers is having an extra asset really was good and you know at 26 they stayed there after moving out of 29 to 32 a couple days before and
5: taking Ben Shepard which was a little bit of a surprise
3: Alex do me do me a favor Alex do me do me a favor real quick if you can if you could re, if you could readjust your headset for me, Eddie, I'm going to go ahead and have you put him on hold real quick, because it, it sounded like one of those things where the phone goes back to Bluetooth and then it jumps back where he suddenly it sounds like he's in a cave. And I want to get Alex insight on that, because, again, as I mentioned, he's one of the people on this beat and get his perspective on not just the selection of Jairus Walker when it ended up, but able to get Ben Shepard and have a shooter that is hopefully able to be a piece with this core moving forward again we've talked about it they're going to have a decision to make at some point with buddy healed and whether or not they feel that he is going to be a either a starting guard of the future like i'm not talking about this year obviously he's in the starting lineup i'm talking about what this team what this core is going to look like three or four years from now because it is a contract year and those are decisions that you're going to have to make either by the deadline this year or if you're trying to do a sign and trade next year. Around this time of free agency, again, those are headaches and complications that are going to have to be on the horizon when you're evaluating what this core is. I believe we have Alex back now. Alex, sorry about that, but you were mentioning again what the likes of Jerris Walker and Ben Shepard, as you look at that core, are going to be able to add to this Pacers team moving forward.
7: Yeah, no, sorry about that. I think my phone decided to connect to Bluetooth when I had it on speaker (laughs) side. That's all right. Love when that happens when you're uh, doing an interview. (laughs) No, uh, Jairus Walker is a really good defensive player. I think the Pacers know exactly what they were looking for, and that was try to get someone that's a good defender. I think Carlisle mentioned that he's a good rebounder as well. So he does provide a lot of things. I think his playmaking ability is very special as well. Carlisle did not want to give him a player comp last night, so he was really tempted to, but he couldn't do it. And I think at the end of the day, uh, if you're speculating like I like to do a lot, it sounded like he was hinting a lot in terms of things he likes about him, Draymond Green. So you're looking at a guy that's probably more athletic than Draymond, but uh, similar play style if everything connects well. And then Ben Shepard at 26. This guy is an incredible shooter. Um, That's one of the things that you'll notice about his game is, you know, shot 40% on catch and shoot uh, shots off the dribble. Uh, you know, not a bad shooter as well, but it's just one of those things where you need someone like that off the bench. And I was a little bit surprised they went so guard heavy, but yeah, it's um, it's one of those things where they still have free agency, they still have trades they can make. I don't think they're done whatsoever, but they're in a good spot now. They took two players that can be part of the future, uh, especially Jarius. I think there's a good chance he could start, but we'll see what they do in free agency as well.
3: You mentioned this on Twitter and then again just there about the fact that they're very guard-heavy now coming away from this draft. How much of that, I would say a large portion of it, no, would center around the fact that you're going to have a decision to make on Buddy Heald either by the deadline this year or something towards the offseason, unless you're able to come in terms of an extension, at which point this is all moot. But with that guard-heavy aspect of the team, do they have answers or at least hopeful answers of development okay we have consistent shooters now should we decide to move on from buddy down the line if that is a pathway they choose
7: yeah i mean i think buddy he'll be in an expiring contract and he's not old but he's a little bit older than this young core i don't know if he fits their timeline long term and i think chris duarte is another name that could be on the move just because it's such a log gym right there if you want to get all these guys minutes you're gonna to have to figure out a way to play them and they already do play a little bit small with Mather and probably going to be starting at three next to Nimhardt and Tyrese. So trying to find the actual minutes for these guys is going to be challenging. Last year when they took Nimhard, they didn't expect for him to really get a lot of run in his first year, but he was so good as a rookie that he catapulted a lot of guys on the depth chart. So I think that Buddy Hill, while he's a nice player, Tyrese's best friend, long-term you have to realize that he's not – Going to be a long-term part of this team, and especially on the defensive side of things, because that's one thing that Ben Shepherd's a little bit better at his defense. Buddy Hill I've seen some people wonder if Buddy would start next to Matherin, and with this team moving forward, but they're trying to get better defensively. I don't think those two guys together make a lot of sense as being your your wing defenders. Yes, you get Jerris Walker at the four. I don't know if he's going to start. There's a chance he could, but I just feel like they gotta continue to have Nimhart in there because he was so good defensively last year. So. I think Buddy's days are numbered as a pacer. not sure when they'll move him, but that expiring contract, lights out shooter, he's going to be attractive to a couple different teams, and I think for the right price, they'll make that move.
3: Alex Golden here with us on the Fan Midday Show. Alex, with Walker, we talked a little bit earlier with a former front office executive and Dan Purcell about the patience the Denver Nuggets were able to practice. I'm not even talking about that long-term type of patience because – that of course leads to a championship and you would hope any front office has the discipline to be able to do that. I'm talking more the short term with Jaris Walker. You mentioned does he start? Does he not? Let's say he does start and he's, you know, has the rookie struggles that you expect sometimes, where it's not, you know, just rainbows and butterflies right out of the gate. With him and his defensive presence, how key is his development to Rick Carlisle getting this group to another level defensively that he would like to see?
7: Oh, I think it's huge. I think that he's going to have to really take some steps forward. I mean, he's a a rookie, right? So we know there's going to be challenges. I wouldn't expect him to be this elite defender in year one. But give him a couple of years, and I think he might be able to solidify himself as this defensive-minded guy. I love that Rick Carlisle said that uh, he thinks of defense first. And and that's what we need from this team, especially with so many guys that can put the ball in the hoop, like Benedict, like Buddy, like Tyrese, of course. And and Miles is more than a defender as well because – you know we look at miles as a guy that blocks shots but he likes to put the ball in the basket I mean, he can shoot the ball he can put the ball on the floor so i think that jared's defense and, and just being able to impact that that four position is going to be huge and one thing that i love jared said last night and in his post-draft media availability was he wants to guard kd like that to me is like okay this guy's up for challenges like that that makes me excited about the player that he could become if he's eager to you know, shut guys like that down who are considered some of the best scorers and not the best scorer in the league.
3: So make it back-to-back drafts now. Benedict Matheret looking for LeBron James whenever that matchup <laughs> comes on the schedule and Jairus Walker there looking for Kevin Durant. As a whole, when we talk about the amount of cap space the Pacers have and knowing that at some point they're going to have to pay Tyrese Halliburton, at some point they're going to, a couple years down the line now, figure out their – spending power and how they're going to retain which they ultimately will but that's going to be on their bill of benedict matherin as you look at this free agency we have a tendency to look at the cast base think okay they'll be spenders they're going to utilize as much of it as possible to fill their remaining needs how aggressive do you expect them to be when free agency starts next week
7: Yeah, I expect them to be pretty aggressive. I mean, they got to target the right guy, so that's a big thing. Like, um, They're going to need a four. They just need depth there, I think, right now after drafting Jairus Walker. The only other four they have is Jordan Mora. So, yeah, we saw Nita play the four last year, but I don't think that's something he can do long term. So they're going to have to address that. They've been linked to a couple different players here, like a a Harrison Barnes, potentially a Kyle Kuzma, maybe Cameron Johnson from Brooklyn. But, you know, those are all going to be – probably guys that are a little bit expensive. So, are they going to be willing to pay that? We'll see. I think they could also be very involved in the trade market. That The trade market seems to be very active right now. Yes, we saw the Pacers make three trades around the draft. Nothing was, like, substantial or significant, but, you know, they were still moves that made sense, and I think seeing the blockbusters with Chris Paul going to Golden State and Bradley Beal going to Phoenix and Porzingis going to Boston, you're going to see a lot more activity. So, Pacers have been heavily rumored in talks with different teams across the league. I think that's the easiest way for them to target people is via trade, and by picking up extra assets like they did by moving down and moving out of the draft, that is going to help them get those type of players. So um, if I was a betting man, though, I would say Harrison Barnes probably feels like the most safest pick if you're looking at a free agent just because power forward, played with Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and under Rick Carlisle before. There's just familiarity there, and I think getting an adult in a room like that that can play a position of need could be a nice mentor for a guy like Jarris Walker, as we saw him do with Keegan Murray.
3: Alex, I appreciate you making time for us, as always. And I will follow you on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of content as well from the Setting the Pace podcast as you continue to dive into what the post-draft press conferences unfold obviously reactions to that i'm sure later today as well but also how aggressive they are in free agency we'll be following along and thanks for making time
7: absolutely and once again i do apologize for my audio (laughs) I, i hate when that happens and it's part of life and you know live radio is a lot different than podcasts and we can edit it out so i do apologize but thank you all so much for having me on and uh yeah it's an exciting time for the pacers
3: All good, Alex. Bluetooth will come out every now and again, but hey, we we, we got it under control and appreciate you again for spending part of your Friday with us.
7: Awesome, man. Thank you. Thank
3: you. It's Alex Golden. Again, follow him on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA and the host of the Setting the Pace podcast wherever you get your podcast. Speaking of which... That conversation and more will be up on 107.5thefan.com a little bit later this afternoon. Or you can search the Fan Midday Show for Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Still to come, we'll have some bets. Final thoughts from Pacers Draft 2023. We close things out on a Friday on the Fan Midday Show.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
3: Final time here on the Fan Midday Show. Thanks for spending the afternoon with us. Podcasts, of course, will be up. 1075thefan.com in case you missed some of our conversations a little bit earlier today, or you can search the Fan Midday Show wherever you get your podcast. Final thoughts. On the Pacers draft, an interesting tweet from Jim Ursay. and more to close this final segment. But first, let's try to make some money, shall we?
5: The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win.
3: Today's Plays of the Day give me the Houston Astros plus 125 on the money line as they take on the Los Angeles Dodgers out in L.A. Also going to lay one and a half on the run line for the Toronto Blue Jays as they are playing Eddie.
1: Um, I'm going to guess
3: the athletics. They are indeed playing the Oakland Athletics. Gonna lay one and a half on the run line there. Also going to take the New York Yankees on the money line over the Texas Rangers. Ooh. I'm trying to tempt Eddie into
1: Who's on the mound for he, that?
3: He said he said that he had no bets today. I'm trying to tempt him. We have Dave Dunning and Clark Schmidt on the mound tonight. What's the total? The total is eight and a half. Take the over. Over eight and a half says Eddie Garrison, and also give me the Cincinnati Reds plus one thirty on the money line as they host the Atlanta Braves. What's the
1: total there too? By the way, I don't have my sports book total open.
3: for the Cincinnati Reds and the Atlanta Braves is eleven.
1: Holy my, I, <laughs> I would be tempted to go under. I'm not touching that one. If I was, get, I was hoping for like nine. But 11, (laughs) holy, holy hell.
3: Over for 11 is minus 115. Under for 11 is minus 105. So not a ton of big lean one way or the other with that. I've been tempted with you. 11 is a very big number. Now, granted, I understand the Reds have been on a tear. Matches the number
1: of wins they've got. Are the Braves. <laughs>
3: it does indeed. Is that an omen? Does that mean you ride the over to continue because their win streak does not end at 11? It carries over. I think it over? ends
1: tonight, though. It does end tonight. I think it does. So I would go Braves ML if I could. All right. Well,
3: Braves ML is minus 150 if you're interested in jumping to that. But again, we went plus 130 with the Reds. One and two yesterday, five and seven on the week. Though we did get you that selection of Brandon Smith last night. All right. Stop the, it!
1: You're rubbing it, and it's Brandon Miller. Oh man, Brandon
3: Miller. That's a we need to have a fine bucket or something. But that's right, we did get it with Brandon Miller. I didn't even reference your pick. I wasn't gonna bring in the fact that you got burnt by the Pacers trading to seven to eight. I didn't say that.
1: No, but bringing up your win doesn't help, Jimmy. It just it just you know it's like salt over the wound. You know.
3: Hey, we celebrate the wins, we mourn the losses, and we move on. I'm depressed. I understand, but hey, you got a nice bet in the Yankee game to follow, and. Are you is this a reverse chase, by the way? I was, the Reds day, bet? I was a date
1: I was a date earlier on the, the Yankees. Now is what a reverse bet?
3: is the is the Reds bet a reverse bet? In what regard? The saying the Braves are gonna win outright.
1: No, I think the Braves will yeah. win outright. I, I really like that rookie pitcher they've got on the mound. I think he's fantastic and Luke Weaver has an ERA of like twelve in his last five starts. And if you're playing one of the teams that's got I think they're I think they have the most home runs. If not, they're certainly in the top three, but you're playing a team that likes to go yard. So in a small ballpark, I don't, yeah, it's just not a good matchup.
3: 11 is a very crazy total though. I'm not going to disagree with you on that. So we'll see how those bets unfold over the course of the weekend. We mentioned at the top of the draft, in terms of what the Pacers were able to do at the top of the show about the draft, the Pacers were able to, at least in their mind, have their final selection of the lottery, addition of this era, right? They want to be able to take that leap and it's not going to be an easy leap to do, but what Jairus Walker is able to add to this team, both from a defensive perspective, filling that need for a wing. And man, if he continues to, like we had that conversation with both Kevin Bowen and Dan Purcell, if he continues to add to his arsenal from beyond the art and get that overall percentage up, which by the way, catch and shoot. Very good. Very good. Catch and shoot three point shooter, but he's able to continue to get that average up as expected as he grows as a player. Going to be a very nice fit here in the Pacers and here with where they want to be in terms of the standings of the Eastern Conference. We've highlighted it throughout the playoff run. 76ers have had changes of some kind. Celtics had had changes that seemed murky and then they get Christos Porzingis, so we'll leave them out of that mix. But the 76ers, the Cavaliers, the Knicks, the Nets are all but guaranteed to not be a 6 seed next year, at least what they've done to this point. Crazy things happen in the NBA, so maybe I'm devaluing them, but there's a pathway there for the Pacers if they have the kind of leap they want to not be just a play in team next year. Now, Dan Purcell was the voice of reason in that regard that maybe that's a better bar to set for this team and expectations is make your way into the play in some capacity, whether it's the seven seed, whether it's the 10 seed, get yourself a ticket to the dance. But we've stressed this again what Miami just did, and I know that the Heat are still a voice of bad memories than this town. But what Eric Spoelstra has developed there and the cliche of heat culture is an undeniably real thing. What they've been able to put together over the course of his tenure, and Pat Riley's tenure there. They are an exception to the rule. This is not going to suddenly be, at least from historical standpoints, not going to suddenly be a pathway now where eight seeds are waltzing their way to the NBA finals. It has to be done in a manner that is well-crafted and in a manner that really sets you up for that long-term success that you want. Miami still was able to do that, albeit as an eight seed, and we're only a game back in theory of being solidly in the playoffs. They were closer to where the middle of the pack was for this conference than we really thought, even though they were an eight seed. At that same time, though, your goal should be where the bar is at of a four to six spot. And I believe with Jarris Walker and Ben Shepard's development, the Pacers will ultimately be able to get there. That's where the expectation should be in my mind for next season. Special thanks to Kevin Bowen, Kristen Ary, Dan Purcell, and Alex Golden giving us all the rapid reaction to last night's NBA draft. Podcast will be up. Search the fan midday show. Ever you get your podcast and go to 107 thefancom More draft coverage continues, right? With JMB is next. Stay here on The Fan.